OTB GAA. One of the fathers was mentioning the cows at half six or seven on the, on the, on the Monday morning. They started crying that we just have to win in the county final yesterday. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. Shane is here. Shane, how are you? Morning, folks. How are things? Also with us, we have Colin Bowie. Colin, how are you? Sarah, Shane. Good morning. How are you? Merry We're Christmas. excited about the return of um, domestic football last night, Colin. We're really excited. It was great to yeah. have domestic domestic game back after the have international you, uh, break. I, have you great. learned the lesson of your ways now uh, that the international... No, I just like, I enjoy language, just using words. And domestic club is uh, a way to describe our great league. And it was back there last night in League Cup form. So that was great. How come you're wearing, um, you're not wearing Christmas jumper today? You peached too soon yesterday. Uh, it's uh, red for Santa. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to wear your um, Kaepernick top all week long. I love that top. It'd get a bit sticky. It's two days of uh, 365 days. He's got the grey beard and the, and the red top. It's ah, that's every... That, I see it's you all that. pepper, Shane. <laughs> and also... Uh, I, thought, I thought you'd wear it again today. No. It's like a bit finger-hugging these days. It used to fit me. But then, you know, shit happened and uh, now it fits me less so. Where'd you so get that? After a period of time, well... Where did you get that? On the internet. Oh. I tracked it down. It was hard to find. Yeah. And I remember some guy was like, oh, I'll buy that off you. I was like, oh yeah, grand, yeah. The hoodie? Oh, I like, literally had to, I searched for months and months and months and months to find it and they're, they don't make them anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no problems. I, I find it, do all the hard work and I'll sell it to you. Yeah. Colm's dressed very snazzy this morning. You look like a dress for, for Sunday school. Yeah. Or it's like a Christmas Day mass attire, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I, genu- I genuinely was like, when I wear this today? Yeah, it looks well, yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I put it out before I went to bed, like, you know. Later to get, I have to get ready in the spare room. We're up, we're up too early, like. Oh, right, yeah. there. Yeah. So I have to not disrupt the other person, you know. So I have to go over. Just threw it out there, you know. That's very Slightly good, festive. Yeah. And you went for Monaghan. How is it festive? Yeah. Um... Do you want to stand up kind of there and give us a twirl, Colm? Go on. No. Come on, but you're dying to. I, no, I don't, actually don't. But what I, uh, I just read as I left my coffee inside the production box. That's always the worst, isn't it? And I really, I need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't concentrate until... I can't. I need, uh, need a hit of caffeine. So bad, that's kind of, um, that's on my mind mostly at the moment. But that's you went from Anahin for Christmas. the coffee in there is what he's doing there. It's, yeah. He's producing from on the show. It's been, uh, it's a Monaghan shirt. It's been described as Narcos. It's not a Monaghan shirt, though. No, it's not a Monaghan shirt. It's... <laughs> you just said it wasn't, then he said it wasn't. No, like, I can see how you, you should defend your honour. Like. It's white and blue, I suppose that's the only yeah. link. But um, yeah, um, narcotics, kind of narcos right, vibes yeah. off it. Where were you last night? I was in uh, a new pub in Smithfield, opening night. Fidelity is the name of the pub. All right, okay. Whisper it, Fidelity. <laughs> um, yeah, though it was very hipster. Uh, there was a parrot. Oh, you were at the cut. The, I, I, I was getting pictures. Some of my mates were there. There you go. Yeah, it's yeah. A high-end crowd you're hanging out with. High-end crowd, you're, let me tell you. No, uh, I'm impressed, Shane. Felt like I was in the French ambassador's residence. Um, it was. It was brilliant. Lovely little pub, and it's it's the it's now officially the closest pub to uh, to our house in Smithfield. So, uh, it will become a local, no doubt. But yeah, it felt very exclusive. Hipster heaven. Dogs. Uh, be- a lot of beards. A lot of like hats being worn inside. I mean, this is all. All you're describing, you. You were wearing a hat inside last night, I bet you, and you have a beard. I have a beard, yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to get the beard trimmed today, thankfully, for Christmas. But uh, no, I, I wasn't wearing a hat inside. I, I, I didn't stretch it that far. But um, you, you say you're getting your beard trimmed. Do you do that professionally by yourself? Uh, well, I, I, it's got to the point now where I can't, I can't control it, so I'm going to have to go to a professional. What? I'm going to get in the hair chop for Christmas anyway, so I'll, I'll, just, I'll do the beard as well. 
What's the plan overall? Just the general trim? Uh, short back inside, or like a half eight in the back. And what are you going to do with the beard? Just trim it back a little. Just clean it up there, please. Yeah. You know, you'd have a fantastic goatee. Would I know? Yeah. Oh no. Oh, no, you would, yeah. No one has a fantastic. Coat I think. I think Shane would because no you're you're quite you're quite thick no, in the right area. Yeah, quite thick yeah, here. Yeah. Quite, quite thick here. You call me thick. Thick. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Uh, Rafa Varane's thick arse yesterday, and today it's uh, his thick beard. Yeah, yeah. Right. We have a, a show to talk about. I mean, I had some other things that I wanted to bring up there, but uh, anyway, oh, it's, it's Christmas. Yeah. It's Christmas. You can say what you like. Yeah. Mm. So seven thirty-five. Anybody wants to get in touch with us. Oh, it's seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. There's actually loads and loads of sport happening today. Uh, Jack McCaffrey is back. Oh. UEFA are telling us that we might not be getting the UEFA Euro twenty twenty eight bid. Uh, the Spurs stadium is the problem, but also Caseman Park. They're not buying what we're selling when it comes to Caseman Park. UEFA, there are different problems involving Caseman Park in Belfast, which is one of the fourteen stadiums listed in the bid and the only one in Northern Ireland. It requires this is on the back page of the London Times. It requires substantial redevelopment. No shit, Martin. You, we should take you, Martin, to uh, show you just how much redevelopment uh-huh. Caseman Park needs. Substantial redevelopment, which is due to start next year, but UEFA still remains to be convinced about the final plan for the venue, and if that includes temporary stands for the tournament, which could be a big issue. So, presumably there are terraces. I haven't seen the final, 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 agreed final version, uh, not the one that got past the residents. Um, is there a terrace? I don't know. Is that going to be a problem? I mean... I mean, if that's an all seater, yeah. are we in the days now where an all seater kind of. You'd hope that wouldn't derail the bid, wouldn't you? Well, sorry, it, don't, it won't matter ultimately because the 14 stadiums on the list will be whittled down to 10 for the 2014 tournament. Yeah. So there's, there's spare. Spurs being Spurs are unhappy. Um, obviously, the Aviva won't be called the Aviva and the Etihad won't be called the Etihad. It'll be the City of Manchester Stadium and it'll be the Dublin City Stadium. Is that what it's called? Dublin City Stadium. Can we not just call it Lansdowne Road for all time's sake? Uh, it's not like too parochial for a tournament. Dublin Stadium. So we're going to try and find out a bit more about what UEFA's problem with casement is. Why Why are they unconvinced about... Are they Are they aware of the tangled history of the ground? Have they seen the drone footage? of The thistles growing? The grass, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Ah, but 2028, we have a bit of t- time to, to finish. I mean, it's, it should be ready by then, surely. But I guess they need it for the bid. Well, and also, like, a big impetus for funding would be the bids and pressure on time to deliver mm. and, you know, like... Yeah, it gives them a target, yeah. a deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and the um, British government can pay for all of it. I mean, why not? Happy days. Let them have it. Uh, here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. As I said, a very busy programme for you. Uh, Daniel Harris is going to join us at 8 o'clock to talk some Manchester United. Casemiro at centre-back. Marcus Rashford looking like Marcus Rashford of old last night. Uh, Jack Nichols is going to join us at 20 past 8 to talk about the Formula 1 season. Oh, can we go back one, sorry? Uh, we have papers, sorry. Uh, Fergal Boland is going to talk to us about hurling and football and Ailish McSweeney is going to talk to us about uh, sanctuary runners who are attempting to run to the North Pole and back between now and Christmas so time is tight but it's um, it's all for a very good cause we'll talk more about that a little bit later on Have you seen the photos of everyone seen the photos of Jack McCaffrey on the pitch for the first time in um, what two years in, in Sky Blue there he is uh, last night playing for Dublin North in the rescheduled Dave Hickey Cup final against Dublin South at the DCU Sports Campus there he, the thumbs up there he is in action it's a terrifying sight for everyone across the country of course They were all of course at James McCarthy's wedding during the Look at him. all over the papers he looks he looks in good form he does he looks like you can just imagine the tracking he's doing there the speed he's building up um, 
So yeah, he hasn't played since that National League game against Tyrone in 2020, which is uh, mad. But uh, yeah, concerning sight for all other counties, I think, last night when you see him finally... He can't still be the same, can he? You can't. You can't take three years off and be the same player. Could be better. Couldn't. Couldn't be better. You can't get better not doing the thing that you're good at. We don't know what he's been doing... We do. He's been he's been like working seventy hours a week and like sleeping in hospitals to try and save the sick children of the country. Mm. We don't treat our How dare we he? don't treat our young doctors very well, no. right? We really don't. We put them under severe stress. We string them out and then we complain about them. Mm. And so I suspect that's not the best way to get good at football. And I'm not saying that he's not going to be as good again, but there's no way he could be the same again, is there? He could be. Well, he, I, should, I should stop talking about this because they're playing Kildare in the first round of the league and they'll be like, oh yeah, he's and then he scores like three target, three. They're targeting that game apparently. Where did you hear that? Heard that. The whispers the whispers in the board's head. What? <laughs> Those whispers going around that uh, the Dubs are massively targeting the first league game against Kildare and uh, for Kildare to expect a bit of a backlash. Now, a backlash to the last time they beat Kildare really well. What yeah. Are they, what are they lashing back against? Well, last what year the, in the league, in fairness. Yeah, and, and all the, the narrative since the Kerry defeat. I think everyone has ruled them out. No, not really. But uh, I think since McCaffrey and Mannion come back into the fold, everyone's... Well, we need to do a power rankings and put them straight in, at least at second or joint first because of uh, McCaffrey and Mannion. And Pat Gilroy. Ah, they're second, aren't they? They can't be first. Well, what was the difference between them and, and Kerry last year? Kick of a ball. If if the post had, had just come the other way, they're stopping that, aren't they? They're, they're they changed the rules. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't sway the post, which makes a little bit of sense. You're literally moving the goalposts. I mean, it's it's uh, it seemed like a, a slight oversight that you were allowed to do this in the first place. And I mean, in fairness, when a loophole gets discovered, you should close it as fast as possible. I don't think anybody yeah would disagree with that. Which is fair. No, no. I think the dubs are they're, they're close, uh, but I think that Division Two campaign is going to help them massively under the radar a little bit. It'll be a fairly high profile. Well, how under the radar is going to be if they're targeting this game and they announce with the, their selves? Is the game going to be on telly? Has that been announced yet? I don't know if the TV details have been announced. Not many Division Two games get. Oh, of course, you'll have the. Isn't GA it mad how like well. we know what the championship games are next year, but we don't know what the first round of televised fixtures is going to be, or who the commentary teams are going to be? Like I would, I, I mean, this is we all want to see this. We all have like a level of excitement about this. Is this is this in Kildare or is it Croker? No, it's Croker, Croker isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so okay. So you're saying that the Dubs are telling everybody they're going to humiliate Kildare in the opening round of the league. That's Shane why I've heard this. That's why I'm hearing. All right. Well, we're clipping this, yeah. right? And we're we're tagging at Kildare GAA and going. Like, this is what this is what the Dubs are saying about you. Fancy dance in Kildare. If, if Shane's hearing it, right? You can just imagine the blabbing that's going around. Yeah, hundred percent. This is pub talk, but it's sometimes pub talk has legs, you know. It can have some element of truth, some modicum it's of truth. To reveal, I mean, look, we, we, I wasn't around when you were in journalism school, but maybe things have changed. Mm. I'm not sure you're supposed to reveal the origin of your sources. No, no I'm not revealing my, the, uh, who said it to me. I'm just revealing where they said it to well, me. Well, I mean, do you know, it's kind of similar. <laughs> <laughs> People piece this jigsaw together and they're like, oh, and then they'll be trawling back over your Instagram to find out who's the blabbermouth that told Shane that the doves are trying to get Kildare. Yeah, I'm just trying to wind up Kildare. They're walking into a, a buzzsaw. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Kildare and Dublin would be the two favourites to get promoted anyway, together, from Division 2. Albeit a tough, tough division. Derry. Oh, well, yeah, sorry. Derry, yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot about Derry. Wait, wait, I, I need to check the odds to see exactly what the... I'd imagine, sorry, you're probably right. Derry, um, Derry are up there, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, do we have the, are we playing the clip now, or are we going to play the clip of Ten Hag later, or was that just you, we don't have that clip? Oh, it was on the phone, yeah. So Ten Hag being asked last night about... Ah, you, I knew you'd bring this up. 
Jaden Sancho. So oh, after- what do you mean you knew I'd bring it up? It's really important. It's important, right. It's an £80 million player that they've completely wasted. For anyone who hasn't heard this, uh, so last night Eric Ten Hag is asked after the match about, about Jaden, who? San- Jaden Sancho. Right. And uh, he's like, uh, so when he, who, who is Jaden him? Sancho again? Remind me. He's a Manchester United England midfielder. Does he, um, he play for England? Played at the Euros a couple of years ago. <clears throat> Um, missed a penalty famously in the in the final against Italy in the shootout. Uh, so tonight was asked about him after the match and basically goes. Uh, so what's the story with Jin Sancho? Of course, he's been training away from the group in uh, is it in Spain or the Netherlands? He was over with, but anyway, he's been training by himself to get the fitness back. Tonight was asked about him and uh, tonight just said, "He said any update? No. Do you want to elaborate or tell us? No. It sounded very very um, terse from Eric Ten Hag. Maybe that's just his way, but uh, it sounded like there was." Uh, something there a little bit deeper with uh, Jaden Sancho and maybe it's not all just uh, relative lack of fitness go on Jer oh I wouldn't take a victory lap <clears throat> oh no it would be unlike you take a victory lap to take a victory lap no this is what I would think is it the coffee or is it when your we were, words when we choking. were talking about um, Jaden Sancho at the time that was after the Liverpool game you recall when he for anyone who can't remember Jer called Jaden Sancho a bust a so lovely that's, that's goal. why we're being so that's why he's being so smug in the middle there yeah and uh, it was a lovely lovely finish and you I thought afterwards oh Sancho he's been a bust and I said no he hasn't he's the, the least of United's worries because at the time Manchester United were in crisis do you remember that victory came after the uh, Brentford and Brighton humiliations I do that yeah. was the third game of the season yeah, yeah. first okay. win Sancho lovely finish and you called out Sancho and at the time there were a number of players ahead of him. So I was saying, he's not a bust really in the grand scheme of things. He's the least of our worries. What subsequently emerged a few months since is that Ten Hag has vastly improved the vast majority of the Manchester United squad and Sancho actually has been left behind. That's what's happened since then. But at the time of our debate, okay, so I stand Sancho by... Sancho now a bust. No, I didn't say that. He's not gone forever, but he's massively deteriorated, yeah. To a worrying degree, like. But there must be something going on way beyond his ability and way beyond... Um, any sort of... Uh, so you've caught up with the rest of the world on this now. That's okay. Confidence issue. Because I think it's... Um, it, it must be a mentality problem because Ten Hag was so curt in his response it when he was a, speaking with Sky Sports afterwards last night. Like, no, it wasn't like, oh, you know, he's working away, he's training hard, we'll get him back soon. It was a very curt no. No, it was, it was tough love, right? three seconds. Yeah, so there must be something. Because I thought, like, by all accounts, Sancho is a quite enough guy... Um, when you get to know him, he kind of opens up a bit, but he can be a bit reticent at the start to new company. So I thought, okay, maybe he's a bit, maybe he lacks confidence. I mean... But now it seems to be, no, no, it's not that. His application is a problem. uh, Okay. That seems to be the case. That that personality assessment that you've just given me, like, who Mm. put that out there? Where did, where did, like, uh, I'm I'm reluctant to, to, like... But is this not all that's wrong with the world? Is that like you have this personal view of what his character is like mm. based on some kind of... I, I, well, I read about it in The Athletic in the well, long piece about St. James Sancho. I, I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's, it, has the, it stinks of an athletic piece where it's like, uh, here's a tiny piece of information that I have that I'm going to extrapolate <clears> into a full personality test and then I'm going to use this as the basis for me to explain and rationalise everything that comes afterwards until he leaves the club, which one will be like, oh, retrospectively, this was always due to failure because of these things. Like... A lot of a lot a lot of the stuff that you're reading in the Athletic is like I mean made up. It feels like it just feels like they're absolutely taking one tiny Sorry, piece but, of yeah. data and deciding that on the back of that. And it, it's kind of like when um, 
when uh, companies do those psychometric analysis or when you do them for like in, in school, like your teacher comes down and goes, oh, you're going to be an engineer because you did this test really well. It's like a lot more goes into this than that, you know? I just feel like you, we don't know what the hell his character is like. No, yeah. But because he, 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 went, he, he went from having real trouble at Man City, like not liking them, falling out of the, with, with Pep to Dortmund where he was absolutely stunning in a culture where they speak a different language and you're telling me he couldn't come back to Manchester United and that he's too shy and a bit too reticent to get on with whoever was there previously I don't buy it or everything or everything that was written in the Atlantic is true let's say that could be one possibility right and that well then he, why was he, he success stri- why was he, he success at Dortmund he strives in confidence <clears throat> so he hit the ground running English he media, was away I, from he was away from the limelight People were letting him develop. There was no expectation of him. He was a young fellow going abroad. Fair play to him. He took a chance. Didn't work out in Manchester City. We'll try in Germany. And he hit the ground running. He was left alone to develop his game. And his stats were incredible. So no wonder Manchester United wanted him. No wonder an array of clubs wanted him. Then he comes to United the same summer as Cristiano Ronaldo. He's left in the shadow a bit there immediately, even though he cost 80 million. He comes on Ronaldo's second debut. He came on. It was like an afterthought. Oh, and Sancho's coming on. Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. So he doesn't do much at the start because he's probably, oh, God. I'm surrounded by massive egos here and now I'm one of many stars and now the limelight's suddenly on me as well and I have to deliver. Sorry, I thought and he, he was out of the limelight. I thought, I thought uh, is it because is it he's in the limelight or he's out of the limelight? Which is the problem here? Well, he was signed for 80 million and then he has so to he share... Is in the limelight, well, hold on now. He has to share the stage with a load of other stars but also he costs 80 million. Erling so that's, Haaland. That's the worst, that's the worst of both worlds. Erling Haaland at Dortmund yeah but he I, was, I just no, think no one was they, talking about him at that, in that sense he was, uh, he was assisting Haaland I, like, I don't think I can, think he had a brilliant brilliant stage he to was a called celeb at brilliant a major stage. tournament from the English media because he wasn't playing mm-hmm. Euro 2020 and then they did play him and he wasn't that great so, yeah. and the thing is it turns out he's not that great but hold on oh, I think he you is can't a very, take a victory, very good player you can't take a victory lap on, on him yet because a year ago we would have mm-hmm. said Marcus Rashford is a bust we'd all have said yeah well done he's a bust he's brutal and now all of a sudden he's one of England's best players at a World Cup He's come back into the United team. He scores. He runs half the pitch last night. Like, like you're again. He's one of England's best players at the World Cup. Did he play every game? Did he? Did he start? He should. He should have. But he didn't. Shane, you can't say that, he's one of the best. And he was still their the top Cup. scorer. But you're talking about uh, as if we're saying he's the best player for club and country. Like he's never. He never has been. Like Jaden Sancho. Jaden yeah, Sancho. Sancho. Yeah. So I've never left Sancho. For him. There's a, there's time for Sancho yet because he's young. Maybe there's time. Maybe there is time, but what what I'm saying is that you're you're justifying everything on the basis of one tiny piece of information from an athletic piece, and frankly, that's not useful. The evidence is what's useful. Is the manager picking him? No. Is he even training with the squad at the moment? We don't know. No, like, he's not. The, the truth is not the hype that's put out from people who are willing to talk about the players. The truth is the performances on the pitch. And I would argue that we we spend a lot too much time uh, are these tiny things which actually because when, when his career ends at Manchester United which it looks like it will do at some point probably sooner rather than later then the story will come out well oh he just didn't have the character to deal with the pressure I'm like but I, I thought that that was the reason why it's just like this doesn't make any sense What's, what does the football say what does the data say what do the performances say the okay. performances say this is not going to work at the moment but you were unsure of his character. You don't know anything about his character. So all, all you care about is the evidence in front of you, right? So I'm adding that to the argument is that I read about but what he's like behind the scenes. So I'm adding that to your information, right? But I right? think that's inconsistent so I'm with, coming together with somebody who goes as a child That's why he plays Germany like that. And, and succeeds in one of the best leagues in the world. Because they're leaving him develop and he has an arm around the shoulder and he hits the ground running because he has a load of ability. And oh my God, I'm actually playing really well here. But like, no one's really looking at me. So I'm going to keep him developing. Then United sign him for massive money. And it's like, oh yeah, this guy that's been brilliant in Germany, now do it back at home. 
And he didn't start well because he was sick at the start. Remember, he was ill at the start, so he was only playing bit parts. And then Ronaldo had a flying start, so he, there was no kind of room for him to really flourish in any capacity. And then he only saw glimpses like Chelsea away last season and Liverpool this year. But it's only been a handful of glimpses. Like He really hasn't done an awful lot. But if you remember, the original argument that we had wasn't me saying, Jesus, Jadon Sancho's been a massive success, hasn't he? You said he's a bust, and I said he was the least of United's worries at that time, which was true in September. Mm. What's happened since then is that everybody, well, a lot of United players have developed, and Sancho hasn't. So now he's standing out a mile. The complete opposite to September. Maybe he, maybe he takes the, the English media hype on board too much. This is why we said Jude Bellingham will be better off yesterday going to Real Madrid, perhaps, than, than an English club, because the focus, and the focus on Sancho since he arrived has been unbelievable. Like... And for some players, that's tougher to deal with than others. Clearly, he's one of these players who struggles to cope under the weight of the I, English. You hear very little from Sancho. I've I've only Zero. had a handful of interviews since. Why do you Why do you need to hear from him? Why, like, well, that's not my you point. Know what I mean, because the pressure's on him. People are talking about him, but he doesn't actually give very much away of his character at all. But, so I, therefore, like but, that kind of actually, in many ways, helped him for a long time. But now it hinders him does because Ten Hag is saying, "Well, what kind of character do you have at all?" Because well, uh, you don't know what Ten Hag is saying. Like you, you don't know, they didn't have a massive fight in training. Like he could be, he could have, he yeah. could be completely temperamental. We don't know is a thing. But well, I think that, like, I, I just um, the reason we're talking about it, the reason we're talking about it this morning is because of Ten Hag's correct response. If Ten Hag had said, oh yeah, Jaden's working away in the background, he's going to be back in a few weeks, this wouldn't even be a discussion. We wouldn't Sorry, even be talking about it. They made a point of telling us that he was like, being sent away from yeah. the main group for fear of like, some, somehow inflicting whatever it is that's wrong with him on the rest of the group. Like, they, the, they made a very ostentatious, this guy's out of here at okay. the moment, and he ain't coming back until something changes. So hear me out here. Why, he said no twice without uh, any elaboration. So therefore, right, if it was purely down to ability alone, he would say, no, but look, we're, we're trying to develop his skills. But obviously there's something more happening. So therefore, obviously we're going to talk about his character because we're wondering, how has he got to this part? How has he got to this phase now? We thought Cristiano Ronaldo was the big problem. Maybe and now it's moved over to Jadon well, Sancho. No, I, I, I mean, I think that there are many problems. I don't think there was... I, the characterization of Ronaldo being the problem is wrong. There were many problems, and I still think Harry Maguire's a problem. I can't wait to see you guys defending Harry Maguire next week. This is like I'm, this is my next three months as you two on board the Harry Maguire train, going. No, uh, he's actually he's you know he's he's, uh, he's coming back to the forum that justified us paying eighty million for him in the first place. I look at the two. But that sounds like you've very made uncomfortable. But no, you're coming from a position of just making up your mind about people, and then that's it. And you're inflex- inflexible to change. About the quality of performance. No, if new information comes to light, you change yeah, your exactly. mind. Yeah, exactly. New information came to light, which is exactly why we're talking about Sancho again. So you're saying he's a bust now? No, I told you that already. I never said he was a bust in the first place. I never said I know, he was brilliant in the first place. A bust was going zero to 100. You went to 100 too quickly. Uh, exactly. You, know, you can go to 60 or 70 and say he's, he's heading towards that direction. But The issue I had with you at that time was you calling him out. Because I, that didn't warrant it at the time at all. It did. It did. It did not it did. at all. You're forgetting what it was like at the time. Oh, how good was he last season? Not that great. Okay. He had a sprinkle of moments. But at the time in September, that was probably the four weeks that he played well. And you caught him he out then being well. like, oh, he's a boss. He didn't play that well. He played well. Ah, right. Right? That's what happened then. All right. He didn't. He played uh, well. Are you going to change your mind to Harry Maguire if he plays uh, half a dozen good games in a row? Half a dozen? I need to see Harry Maguire put his season together before okay. I go, yeah, okay, Harry, Harry Maguire, competent centre-back at Champions League title-contending level. Because that's what we're talking about, Man United. That's what we're talking about, lads. You seem to have forgotten that the standards aren't, oh, he, you know, he, he, he's good enough to play for Leicester. This is or Manchester he could, he United. Team. This is Manchester United. 
It's supposed to be. Mm. It is supposed to be. And I think Ten Hag knows that because it was interesting last night. Who played centre back? Casemiro. Casemiro plays centre back. What's going on? Maguire was, was like, sick. Maguire was Harry sick, Maguire yeah. was sick. Was he sick? He was sick. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Sick of your. Hey. hey. Uh, um, uh, now I hope Daniel Harris is listening. That was interesting, though, that so Casemiro played centre back, and I do wonder if um, that might extend his career a little bit. But there were I, so I I didn't see the whole game. I flicked on just after Rashford scored. They were literally tipping off, and but for the next ten minutes, Manchester United laid siege, and then within the space of one minute, Burnley had two great chances. Yeah, two this, really really great chances. This is a Burnley team top of the championship that are flying mm-hmm. like they are in serious form under under Vincent Kompany. So I think coming out of there with a with a win was was a positive. It's a cup game, lads, into the Carabao Cup quarterfinals. I think Ten Hag needs a trophy, and the United players need a trophy. Um, now it's going to be a bit of a fall from grace for Lissandro Martinez winning the World Cup and then playing for a Carabao Cup but that's what, that's where United are at the moment they're a trophy team maybe if they can nab top four this season they take it but I think trophies are fairly important for this United squad at the minute and yeah Casemiro at centre half Scott McTominay can play there as well if needed so there's a bit of cover uh, and obviously Varane isn't back from the World Cup just yet so nor is Martinez so centre half looks was, completely dead at the end of that game oh. he ran himself into the corner Falling over. Fell off the pitch. I mean, it looked like he was crying and then stopped crying. And uh, it's like, has he just done a bad injury there? Like in the very last second of the game, yeah. looked like fatigue, didn't it? It was cramp, was it? Because he just seized up. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, some some sample a sprinkling of all of the comments. Mm. Right. Right. Uh, Dortmund took Man United to the cleaners with Sancho. Says Rommel, guys, a dud. Sancho will end up at Forest. Says JP Wright. He also says, Shane, you've been targeted by Glenn Ryan and Eric Donovan for making up Kildare rumours. I don't think so. I'm actually, uh, this is a good thing for Kildare. This is coming from the Dublin camp. I, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm giving Kildare I'm ammo and, and motivation here. That's uh, what I'm trying to do. I don't 70 want million pound flop, says Mark C. Oh, great, man. United TV is back, says Noel Cal. Um, only for 20 minutes this morning, Noel, I promise. It's Christmas. They were playing last night, I suppose. Uh, Shay Gilong, Gilong, Gilong. Gilong, yeah. Gilong is the, I can't remember. Yeah. Gilong is the, is the, cat, is the cats, yeah. Jar is right. I mean, this is these are these are my Christmas gifts. Sancho is useless. Rashford's also a con man. He says, which I, I've changed my mind on Rashford. Uh, Mark C says Rashford needs to be sold. I mean, you would definitely get a good price from right now. And then Rommel says, can't believe I'm actually agreeing with Gilroy here. It's not supposed to be this way. Rommel, think we can all lay down our arms at Christmas and agree. Jaden Sancho is a bust. What well, hold on? But is Rommel, uh, etc. Are they agreeing with you for back in September or now? Now it's an easy argument. Stephen says, but but, uh, but I was. Like so, your point seems to be I was correct early. That's what seems. Oh, no, you point were there, you no. were incorrect at the time. Okay, you're right at the wrong time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I, but I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't say he's a bust yet. Okay. Not yet. He wasn't a bust at the I period would, you were calling him a bust. Yeah. You, at the time, it was an outrageous statement. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, it was which has subsequently it, proven to be a hundred percent factually correct. You got lucky. You stumbled into a correct opinion. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. okay. That's how that works. Um, Stephen says uh, Jerry can we have a poll on this the two lads are talking nonsense pure United bias I mean sorry we couldn't do a second poll about Colum two days in a row because HR would intervene, HR would and intervene. They would be but like, I, th- I think it was I think um, at the time but we let him back it was incorrect we, we were not like Elon Musk we did not follow through on our Twitter poll we actually let Colum back is like, Elon uh, leaving well, I, don't, I don't know we'll see well, he's going to Mars hopefully one way ticket um, JP Wright there made a good point that if Ten Hag doesn't like you it does seem to be the end of the road for yeah, you yeah which is fair I mean sometimes yeah. the manager has favourites and has, has people he doesn't like and so all job aside what, what, what do you want to happen here with Sancho yeah I, like 
he, well, he has to come back in. He has to come back in the team. Like, the fact that he's not in the squad during the, the busy festive period tells you all you need to know. Right. So he does. Well, he's not fit. Back. He's not fit. So maybe uh, if he gets the fitness how back, how could he not be fit? What's he been doing? I I wonder. Did uh, this is a serious argument? I wonder has the missed penalty in the Euros? Well, somebody's in the comments. Mass- it could have massively affected him. Yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but like, if that's the case, then you probably aren't cut out for Manchester United. No. So, what do you want to happen? I mean, from a United fans' perspective, you, you'd love him to be the Jadon Sancho that he should be and get back into the team and, and play really well. But um, if this continues for the next month or two, he's gone. He is gone. He'll be gone by next summer. There's, um, there's enough quality there you'd love. The reason like a lot of people defend him, like myself, is because you see enough in him that, like, oh, he's brilliant when he wants to be, but like, we just see it so rarely. That's the the other thing as well, like, when, like the, I can't think of a way he's going to turn it around now because it's been a couple, how long has it been? A year uh, and a half nearly? I think the only thing you can do is send him out on loan. So right? that's, that's, but then again, Gareth Bale had the unfortunate nickname Gareth Fail for a long time with Spurs because every time he was in the team they last and he had an incredible turnaround. So like, that's the only, that's the only thing, example I could think of where an attacking player really genuinely turned around his fortunes to become the best player in the team. So he'd have to equal that, wouldn't he? He'd have to do a bail in it. People, Martin in the comments I see, I see Shen and Colm can't criticise United again bit like Ollie defend 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 that's a load of crap I think we criticise United all the time 100% because, like, that, 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 absolute load of crap C- completely ready to criticise United when they need to we're journalists with integrity <laughs> yeah. Colin, I think. do you know exactly I would definitely Gareth Bale needed. was 17 when he moved to Spurs it's the, it's the only it's the only correlation I can think of but it's not a correlation and, even he was, and also he was a left back as well, like, and he eventually became an attacking player. But I honestly can't think of, um, is there any player out there, any attacking player who had a terrible start to his time at a club, largely, and then ended up being brilliant at that club? Well, like Thierry Henry didn't score for 11 yeah, games. Yeah, Burkamp didn't games, score for eight, yeah. 18 months. Mm. But I, I think they were still contributing positively. Like, like Bale was kept out of the team on purpose, so there's the higher end up many anecdotes of bringing Bale on when they were training up with a minute to go so he could finally have a win to his name yeah. and it's that uh, and it's on a direct comparison of course because he was a defender to start off and he was way younger and had a lower profile than Sancho but I can't think of any so I, I feel Send him out on it's, it's, a, it's such a disappointment uh, yeah and loan if he comes back I don't know who comes back from a loan spell and does really well at the club as well it well, feels like it's a totally missed opportunity and it's a shame with Sancho at United well I think you're sending out on loan to get some value back you're hoping that he goes and has a, a good time for Leipzig or somebody and somebody will pay 40 million for him and that's like that's that experiment uh, the alternative is to like keep him on the bench let him play in the cup games you, you have to compare Sancho to who's already there does all that money does he get ahead of Alejandro Garnacho in the United team in the minute no does he get ahead of like Facundo Pellistri was playing for Uruguay at the World Cup and now he's back in the United squad like he doesn't get ahead of him either so like he's way, way, way down the pecking order. And then there's Anthony, of course, as well, who came off the bench last night. I, mean, I think when you look at the United squad at the minute, Sancho just, he doesn't come in within an arse's roar of it, especially no. if he's not fit. So it's, it's a, look, it's a problem. I think the next month or two will, will tell all whether his career lies at Old Trafford or elsewhere. Uh, very briefly, right, ESPN yesterday reporting that uh, Premier League referees made six incorrect VAR interventions in the first part of the season. That's quite a lot, right? Mm. Including in one big game. Arsenal against Manchester United. Martinelli? Yeah. That might have been a very different game. It might have been a very different season. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
Do they have to reveal this? Like, do we do we have to hear all the well, mistakes? I think you do. I think you have to. Hear, we made these mistakes. We should have. I think that's one way for you to get credibility, right? Mm. But why can't this is, so everybody might remember this. I'm, I'm just trying to. So Odegaard fouls Christian Eriksen about an hour before the goal, right? Yeah. Um, and then Martinelli scores. And is it very quickly after that? Two Man United score. Uh, you would to go on to win the game three one anyway, right? But um, I thought it was a foul at the time. He was he was fouled, Eriksen. I remember the foul. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it now. Um, is this not the point of VAR that the, these errors are stamped out? Like, what is what is the point of it if we're if there's still going to be errors? I mean, I know. Look, it's well, you got to get got to get fewer and fewer, right? Yeah, fair. Anyway, so a couple of good comments there from John Caffey and Michael Hill defending you. No, go on, read them out. Jar is anti-United and can't hide it. I'm I'm really not. I, I I hate everybody equally, and here's one as well. I just love football. This is this is from Michael Hill. What about Kane, the big game non-entity and bottle merchant? Uh, well, we we're not talking about Harry Kane right now. Well, that's one Michael had is the same comment. I know, but what about what about everything? Bottle merchant. John Claffey. In fairness to Sancho, he couldn't have come to United in a worse possible season. Three different managers and worst finish in Premier League history. Do you know? Okay, Daniel Harris is with us. Daniel, good morning to you. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, season's greetings. Happy Hanukkah. Oh, thank you. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. To, um, I, d- I don't know anything about Hanukkah, really. Do you light candles? Is that, are you at day four? <laughs> uh, yeah, we do. We like going up from day one to day eight in ascending order. And is it, is it good fun? Is the food good? The food, so the custom is to eat oily foods. So that mainly the most famous food that we eat on Hanukkah is donuts. And obviously donuts are always good. And there's another thing called a lakka, which we also eat, which is kind of shredded potato and onion, then fried. The nearest thing that is not specifically Jewish to it is basically a roshni, and it's, it's kind of that. Uh, it's nice. And as a kid, you get presents and it gives you something to have going on when other people have loads of stuff going on. So, yeah, I mean, most of the most of the festivals are kind of nice and uh, fill some kind of part of you with some level of nice identity vibes. Um, speaking of identity vibes, uh, I'm surrounded by Manchester United fans at the moment and you're also very welcome to the programme this morning and we've been talking about Jaden Sancho. We got, we got sidetracked. Uh, it's a bit of a tangent because actually the performance last night is definitely worth talking about. Um, but... This is off the back of two questions that Ten Hag was asked about Sancho, where he gave very brusque answers. Uh, is no. Exactly. <laughs> I, I quite enjoyed that. I mean, I think none of us really know what's going on with Jaden Sancho. So, personally, like, I think that it feels kind of wrong to start drawing conclusions about who he is and what kind of football he is. I don't think that... I don't, we, we can, Ten Hag, Ten Hag basically said that before Christmas that he does have some level of unhappiness going on. We don't know what it is and we don't know why it is, but I don't feel particularly motivated to interrogate it to within an inch of its life because for whatever reason it is, he's not happy. And schlepping details out of someone to why that is doesn't feel particularly helpful to anyone. He's got a lot of talent. He's not fulfilling that talent. We don't know exactly why it is, um, but maybe we will. And it seems like 
he's getting some help from trying to work stuff out from from the club and he's got a, a boss who's quite benevolent in that aspect and he isn't going to chat about him to everyone okay so you interpret that as benevolence because there's the alternative interpretation is that this is tough love where he's like he's being uh, kept away from the the rest of the club and actually prepared for some kind of exit to whoever will take him on uh, it sounds from what you're saying that actually something else is happening here um it, I, I don't know it, it, it may be that too but he he said Tenach said before christmas that he wasn't he wasn't generally happy and his productivity had decreased and they were trying to work out why that they were trying to work out why that was and part of it was te- physical and mental or whatever so i think that to say to be very specific about what we think it is we haven't been offered enough information to do that we do know that he seems like a pleasant bloke and we do know that he's got a lot of talent so trying to extrapolate the precise aspect of what's going on with him we haven't been given any real information to do that and maybe you're right maybe, maybe it's tough love and the club's saying sort yourself out really quickly or you've got a problem and he does definitely have a problem in that marcus rashford has rediscovered himself um and Andre garnacho is good and you've also got anthony so they're real competition for places even if he's at the top of his game he isn't but the desire to be really specific about what's bothering him doesn't seem to me like we have a great deal of anything to base whatever decision we might make on. So I'm loath to make any kind of decision, but I can totally understand that he's not playing in the way that we think he probably could. Yeah. Is there, um, okay. So like taking that on board, right. There's any number of, uh, potential outcomes here, but is there a world in which they start listening to offers for Jaden Sancho or send him out alone for the second half of the season and say, right, go off and play some football with somebody else. And, uh, and then we'll see where we are. Or do you think that this is the type of thing that they'll sort in-house over the next six months and make a decision in the summer? I'm sure they won't want to sell him right now. Uh, I don't think he's in danger of getting sold soon. But it just if you look at the people he's competing with, it definitely makes sense that if in June he's not doing anything, then there's a chance they might want to sell him. Because... They need money for players and they're already spending like like they've been sold, really. They spent money that they didn't really have last summer, presumably on the basis that whoever buys the club is going to have the money to finance a few purchases anyhow. So I think that I don't think that Sancho will get sold as some kind of punishment for not delivering between now and the end of the season. But if he doesn't deliver between now and the end of the season and they need money and there are a few players in his position, which there are, then he's definitely in danger. But I'm absolutely certain there's enough about the way he plays football at his best that we'll want the club will want to try and work that out rather than just say, well, let's get someone else. Let's talk about, sorry, Shane, let's talk a little bit about Rashford because the um, return to form um, is really quite marked the goal last night if people haven't seen it it's it's sensational it's like the type of ebullient finish that we thought he was going to be capable of on a regular basis and if he if he starts playing like that week in week out then Manchester United have a really special player again um, so uh, is that is that 
partly down to Ten Hag? Is it partly down to Rashford? Is it partly down to his experience at the World Cup? What 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 has come together for Rashford in the last, I don't know, eight weeks, ten weeks? Well, I think all of the above. But the thing about Rashford is like Sancho in a way. Rashford was never clear really about what was upsetting him last season. He's been clear subsequently that he wasn't happy in his life. We don't know if he had stuff going on in his personal life. He wasn't happy with the football was so depressing that he was just unhappy with that. He wasn't enjoying playing for United and playing in that environment. It could be that. We don't really know very much more beyond those general broad brushstrokes. The thing with Rashford, I think, is that he has a lot of natural ability. I don't think he's got the feet that Sancho does, if we're comparing them directly which we may as well do because they are going to be fighting for the same place in the team. But what we do know about Rashford physically is better than Sancho. He's faster and he's stronger. So if you add that ridiculous pace that he's got and he's getting stronger as well and he's got confidence, then what Sancho has over Rashford is that kind of, that just delightful touch and perhaps a little bit more imagination. He's not, Sancho's not a killer and Rashford is. So what we're seeing from Rashford now is what you get when you have someone who's physically in their prime and they're just really happy with the way things are going. And the thing with Rashford, I I always thought that I think that he is a more naturally talented player than someone like um, like Raheem Sterling, who I named because they were fighting for the same position in the England squad. It was always been Sterling who's been who's get it previously. But it always felt to me like the difference between Rashford and Sterling was much more to do with environment than it was to do with individual. Rashford's stronger than Sterling. He's faster than Sterling. So if you take those two physical imperatives, what was enabling Sterling to be better than that was he was playing in a better team for a better manager. What you're getting now with Rashford is when all those things are aligned. So you've got the physical strength and power and speed that enables him to be the best athlete that he can be. And you've also got a team that he's part of now that feels like it's going somewhere. And Rashford's never really had that before. And what we're seeing now is when all those things fit together. So you see him and he gets on the ball like he did last night and he is very hard to stop. And if you're not able to stop a player like that physically, then if they're also cleverer than you and more committed than you as well and more skillful than you, then that is a very, that is a very tricky combination. And United have that at the moment. And what they haven't got from Rashford is previously is that his top level has always been a brilliant level. The difference with him and what seems to be the case now <coughs> is his modal level, the level that he produces every week <coughs> and his bottom level, the level that he produces at his, wor- at his worst, those two things have gone up. And so what you're seeing now is someone who's more productive on a weekly basis rather than someone who, if Mars is aligned with Venus and everything works really nicely, he can do something good for you. The circumstances are such that he's able to deliver a really good level on a more frequent basis. Daniel, the, uh, the back four last night had an interesting look to it and of course uh, Varane and Martinez uh. are, to, are to come back in but uh, one man that wasn't there last night he was sick was, was Harry Maguire. Um, he's come out of the World Cup smelling of, of roses a little bit. Like, is there, a, is there a place for him at some point back in the United central defence, do you think? I, I think we know where Maguire is. Maguire's a good, a good defender. He's a Premier League level defender. Nothing that I've seen from Maguire makes me think he's a top two or three in the Premier League defender. Nothing I've seen at Maguire playing international level has made me change my mind on that. He's still not quick enough at international level. He's still, he still could use a lot of protection. 
And even if we look back to the game against France, which to me felt like a sea change for England, I said this when we spoke about it afterwards, that that to me was the first time you'd seen Gareth Southgate's England take on another really good team and try and dominate the game. But even in that environment, when the ball comes in and it's clutch, it's Maguire who gets loses his header, doesn't get near his header to Giroud. And it doesn't mean that any Maguire's a good player. I think Maguire's a decent player. But the standard of player that United are going to need to have to really challenge for the title, challenge for the Champions League, you're not doing that with Harry Maguire as one of your first-choice centre-backs. And I think Maguire knows that now. I think the manager knows that as well because whenever he could, he picked Martinez and Varane. And when one of them wasn't available, he picked Lindelof. So... I don't think that Maguire is even the first replacement. And if he wants to get on with his career, he will leave United in the summer. And I think I think that that will probably happen. Uh, you seem, I think most Manchester United fans seem pretty happy with Ten Hag. The fact that there's a, a grown-up in charge, that he has a vision, he's, he's fighting for that vision uh, week in, week out. And this is a real opportunity now to see how the team has progressed over the course of the four weeks while he's been working week in, week out with a huge number of those players? Um, maybe in that a big chunk of his best players haven't been around. So the problem is that partly he's been missing and partly the players who he's been working with haven't had a serious competitive game in the best part of six weeks. So I think it's asking a lot to that we should see all of the work that Ten Hag has done in the immediate aftermath of the World Cup. We don't know what football is going to look like with the World Cup in the middle of the season because it's never happened before. And when you think about what's going to happen in the next few weeks, United only had two players who were who were involved in the final. But imagine the absolute, total, abject misery of winning of losing a World Cup final, or the misery of winning a World Cup final. And then the thing that you have to do next is descend to the depths of an English winter and forest at home, which is what United's next league game is, let's say. And you've got to get yourself up for that, having seen your team win, having seen your team either win the World Cup or lose the World Cup. At least like the players who we saw play last night, and some of them were lost in the quarterfinals, they've had a bit of time to assimilate their new reality. Like I'm sure Bruno Fernandes, I'm sure Marcus Rashford, came back to United and they felt extremely unhappy because they thought they could win the World Cup and they didn't. And they came out earlier than they thought they were going to. But they've had time to reflect on that and they probably just wanted to play as soon as possible. But the players that have played in the final have all of a sudden have to try and confront the drudgery, the grind of the Premier League season. And we have no idea how they're going to cope with that. And if if it turns out that Martinez and Varane don't cope with that well. You're not either going to have a problem. And it doesn't really matter how Ten Hag coaches. I mean, he's obviously part of making them feel like it's all right, but you could totally understand how one might lose the run of oneself after winning the World Cup in that way or after losing the World Cup in that way. I can. Uh, well, I can't really. I've, I've no clue what that would be like, but um, we, we, we can. But <laughs> it's, not, it's not right, though, basically. I think <laughs> the idea that this World Cup in the middle of the season, I mean, obviously, we know all the reasons that it happened. But to feel like we can make assumptions about what we're going to see now. I mean, maybe we can. Um, I liked what Scott McTominay said the other day before United played Burnley. He says that he's messaged uh, Martinez 
who to say muzzle top basically well done you won the world cup and martinez has replied saying right now we go for the next one and that felt like quite a good example one of many tremendous examples of what separates professional elite athletes from people like us <laughs> It's true. It, it's totally true. And that, that's uh, they kept training after all their victories and defeats um, when they were kids, and they've been doing this their entire lives. So um, frequently, they all say they never quite enjoyed the moment of the victory as much, and it's only now in retirement that they can actually fully appreciate. And I, I can see that too. And but then, seeing it, if you look, if you look to make a comparison, if you look at what's going on with the England cricket team, right? The thing that's to me is that is incredible about is that the thing that they've somehow managed to do is they've managed to remove the pressure from elite sport because they're saying to the players that if you win, that'd be good. And if you don't win, it doesn't really matter. And football is obviously far too important to say those things about. But what the massive upshot of that is that you end up sending out a team of players that aren't scared to perform or aren't scared to try stuff and they've reached a level of confidence in their managers that is inspired by confidence in themselves that enables them to go and perform in a different way. And I think that, I don't think that that's already changed cricket, but I wonder if looking forward, that's actually going to change sport where people in other sports think, what can we do to make the joy of competing as pure as it is for that England cricket team at the moment, because we've never really seen management like this before. And the speed with which they've achieved these absurd results makes you wonder if people in other sports are also thinking that way. Uh, it'll be interesting to find out. Daniel, thanks very much for injecting a bit of Christmas spirit this morning. Good to see you. Oh, good night. Have goodbye, everyone. Cheers. Happy Christmas. It's uh, Daniel Harris giving us his thoughts. The game next Tuesday against Nottingham Forest from Manchester United. Yeah, 27th. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd almost forget about domestic football, as Colin would call it, over Christmas. It's nice to have that as well over the few days. Well, that's because you're uh, addicted to the darts. I was going to say, darts and football equals Christmas. Uh, NBA and NFL on Christmas Day. Oh, if yeah. You're, if you're stuck. Is that a bit mad? Playing, NFL, playing actual games on Christmas Day. I mean, I don't think they... Think about Christmas Day. They open the pubs in other countries on Christmas Day. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know, yeah. it's only, it's only us who had that kind of weird. No, you batten down the hatches from midnight on Christmas Eve. We have the nightclub. There's a nightclub in Monaghan that opens at at midnight on Christmas night. So yeah, I mean that was your release valve. Yeah, exactly. And, so, it's and were the fights good outside that, or were they bad? Do you know what? There were never any fights because it was always just the townies, the locals, because there's no taxis, so right. no, no one from outside the town goes. And that's where the fights would have been. Usually, the fights versus the townies versus the bogmen. Is it? Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Well, generally speaking, or or the townies not fight amongst themselves. Or else Are you the sure? Northeast would come down, and it'd be that'd be real trouble. Monaghan lads against the Tyrone lads. Right. Which, I mean, it's recipe for disaster on the streets of Monaghan town. But uh, no, Christmas night is is like how, how bad it gets. It can it, it get bad. It, it get bad. It can get bad. Right. Um, as you can imagine, you I can't. About, I can't imagine. Talk with sledging on a GA pitch. You can imagine the sledging when there is no GA pitch or referee to, to martial affairs. Right. Um, so it can get it can get fairly messy. But um, yeah, Christmas spirit. Hopefully, it, it, it won't happen this Christmas. Yeah. We'll all be friends. And uh, yeah, but Christmas night is one of those where it's just local. Heavily so. policed or not? Uh, it would be he- fairly heavily policed. Yeah, 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 yeah. There'd be enough police or, or guardy around to to keep it all calm. I'm probably over-exaggerating. Monaghan is a lovely place to, to go. Well, this isn't a, a great ambassadorship for it. I mean... Uh, it's the truth, Jane, the unvarnished truth. truth but you're a Smithfield hipster now, so it doesn't exactly, matter. Exactly, yeah, yeah. We're never any trouble there. I might bring a parrot into the, the pub in Monaghan when I come is it, I think it's Cockatoo, is it? He has his own Instagram account. Do you know this? Ah, uh, does he? 
I, I, this, I, is, this is all true. It, 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 I've seen him around before. This was in, in our, our uh, telegram last night. Uh, it's, a, it's a proper, like, yeah, he was, he was Rock, doing the Rocco rounds. McCaw. Rocco McCaw. Yeah. So, yeah, because it's like the most sociable. We were, we were actually wondering about... Four and a half thousand followers on Instagram. Ah, here. A military McCaw. I wonder, does the McCaw have um, bad uh, hearing now because of all the loud music it's been? And uh, was was Rocco making noise last night? Ah, no, he was just sitting on people's on people's shoulders. Oh, you're probably in these pictures, are you? It's pictures from last night. I'll tell you what we'll do over There's the... Uh, it does look very hipsterish. It was very, very hipsterish. I, I felt like I should have shaved into the, the handlebar moustache and... Um, well, just lean I, into it now, you live there. Yeah, but I wouldn't be a hipster type now. Ah, you are. Ah, and Sister musician... I, that, does, that doesn't mean I'm a musician. In, into, your, into your space. It's like you're... Space, you, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You're, you just haven't... You Call just me a spacer. All you need is the fixie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, th- I think... And the, the ends of your trousers just slowly get turned up. They actually are turned, they are turned oh, up this morning. There you go. Yeah, yeah, from last night, so... All right, OTBAM even is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs and the Christmas spirit, it turns out today, for an effortless finish to your day. We have loads coming your way. Ellis McSween is going to join us at 10 past nine. Fergal Boland is going to join us in about half an hour. We'll run you through the sports pages and the sports news. Um, it's an interesting theory, not caring about something, making you better at it. Um, Beth Mead won the uh, BBC Sports Personality of the Year Award last night and she's spoken about her mum's diagnosis of terminal cancer and Kathleen was making the point pre-show that... Um, since she went public with that diagnosis, her form has become world-beating. Literally, they won the World Cup. Um, unfortunately, she's got an ACL and she's going to miss the World Cup next year. But that point of putting the sport in context uh, and it therefore the outcome not mattering, all that matters is doing your very best. It's really interesting. Yeah, like, she's a fascinating character, Beth Mead. And well, by the way, well, I, I made the point for Ronnie O'Sullivan yesterday, but I mean, Beth Mead clearly deserved it. Like uh, my point was more that snooker is underrepresented and uh, under. Snooker has won before. I was looking at the list. Uh, Steve Davis won a couple of years. But Nigel Mansell won twice. Dennis yeah. Taylor didn't win it yeah, yeah. when he beat Davis Steve Davis. Five. Yeah, you see, that's like, that's, uh, Barry McGuigan won it. Um, yeah. Ronnie wasn't even in the top three last night, which I thought was surprising. But Beth Mead, extraordinary character. She had an unbelievable year. I mean, well deserved. Let's be honest. Yeah, I do wonder if there's like a bit for the Irish rugby team to learn ahead of the World Cup going. Look. Your destiny might be to be another team that craps out at the quarterfinals, but it might not be, and it shouldn't define the rest of your life. Yeah, hundred percent. Take the wins and the losses with a pinch of proverbial salt if you can. Anyway, uh, someone commented uh, was a column saying the parrot should have been called Richie McCaw. Oh, the Euros, obviously. Sorry, the Euros. Yeah, um, but um, uh, Rocco McCaw says hello. So should be Richie McCaw, but maybe he's not. The owner's not a sports fan, so or a rugby fan. So fair enough. Ethnically Latin American, hatched in Tipperary in 2020, moved to Dublin because I'm a city bird at heart. He's a, he's a hipster bird now, living in, living in Smithfield or wherever he's living. There you go. It's great to see him. Right, we're going to take a quick break. We're back uh, chatting to Jack Nichols from the BBC about the Formula One season. Testing, one, two, one, two. GMAC, one, two. GMAC's morning motivational moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. Good morning. Graham McDowell here, GMAC, as... Uh, you guys like to call me some um, Thursday motivation for you now one of my favourite movies and uh, <laughs> there are so many to choose from is uh, The Shawshank Redemption also like Gladiator Social Network but in The Shawshank Redem- Redemption uh, Andy Dufresne famously uh, delivers a line that we often use on the lift sir get busy living or get busy dying that's your Thursday motivation folks see you tomorrow GMAX morning motivational moment or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. 
OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, 8.28 a.m. on this Thursday morning's OTB AM and uh, it's towards the end of the year now so we wanted to touch on uh, the Formula One year that was and a few of the news stories doing the rounds in the sport over the last week or two. Delighted to say Jack Nickel, the BBC Radio 5 Live F1 commentator, joins us on the line this morning. Morning, Jack. How are things? Morning. Good, thank you. Great to have you on. Uh, thanks a million for taking the call this morning. Um, we, we do want to focus on, on, on the year that was and, and a few of your highlights of the Formula One calendar uh, just gone but uh, there has been a few stories doing the rounds over the last week or two in the sport and um, the FIA banning political signs has been one that's rumbled people to some degree. I know Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton often, uh, two of the proponents of, of various signs, um, the uh, arrest the cops who killed Brianna Taylor t-shirt famously that Lewis Hamilton wore in 2020. Has this been a surprise or something long time coming from the FIA? I think it's the, the, the first thing to point out is that it's not sort of exactly a banning because it's just a request. I say just. It is a request that these uh, demonstrations or political points have to be approved in writing by the FIA beforehand. So on paper, that suggests that, you know, let's use Hamilton's Brianna Taylor T-shirt. He could, in writing, put it to the FIA, I want to wear this T-shirt on the podium, and they could, in theory, accept it. But the worry is, of course, that they wouldn't and that they are giving themselves the power to deny anything, basically, that, that anyone wants to make in terms of um, in terms of a political statement. So the those actions are not banned. They just have to get permission before they happen. And it's doubtable that they would get the permission. So it's a it's, it's a little interesting. And I think it wasn't. It has kind of come a little bit out of nowhere to be to be perfectly honest you might remember earlier this year there was a whole debate about jewelry and what jewelry you could or couldn't wear that kind of suddenly came out of nowhere so it feels like the FIA are uh kind of flexing their muscles a little bit in terms of you know you have to do what we say and they're trying to kind of lay down the law which I think yeah, has has caught people out a little bit. I don't think anyone was expecting this this new kind of regulation. Is is part of this, Jack, that uh, most sports organisations probably have these rules on their statute books anyway, and that there's a bit of a loophole here, and that we would actually expect if you were going to make a protest, you would make a protest irrespective of what the rules were. So this is really just tidying up some administrative nonsense, really, uh, and that it doesn't change anything because ultimately, like, if the sanctions are going to be um, what we would expect, like, uh, uh, please don't do that again. Or, you know, <laughs> I, I can't imagine if Lewis Hamilton makes a protest next year that the sanction will be anything significant in terms of pushing him down the grid or batting him for a race, surely. Yeah, there's nothing in these new uh, wordings and regulations that suggest what the punishment will be. It's not if you do a, you know, political protest, then you lose 10 championship points or you get a race ban or anything. There doesn't appear to be anything sporting that would come from it. And as you say, just clarifying the wording like this would make it a protest. And if Hamilton, if, if you know, let's say Hamilton, Vettel's retiring, as you say, but, you know, if a driver decides to do a protest, now it's against the rules, then it is still a protest. And so you're protesting it. So changing the rules to make it a protest doesn't really seem to to change a huge amount. And that's why I think it's more of a a kind of power move from the from the FIA rather than anything that will necessarily have a have a huge impact. It's fairly reactive 
all this, Jack, from the FIA, isn't it? Because I remember that Hamilton wearing the the uh, T-shirt on the podium, and that has kind of led to them now allowing drivers to only wear race suits, clothes up to the neck on the podium. So it seems to be something they're like, as things happen and as drivers make certain uh, stands, they're like, oh yeah, maybe we should should nip that in the bud. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting part of it, and it's not it's not it's not entirely dissimilar to the to the to the armband uh, stuff at the at the World Cup, you know, with Harry Kane and and the other um, European countries that wanted to wear the the rainbow armband at the World Cup. It's that it's still that sort of thing of these global sports bodies wanting to make sure that they remain uh neutral i suppose because you know with with and and this kind of political protest had never really happened in formula one before and whether that's because it is a white middle class sport predominantly for its entire history and so therefore there wasn't really a huge amount to to protest against if you will but then hamilton coming in um who who doesn't come from that sort of background is the driver who's really changed that and really started to to make these protests and i think that the fia are concerned about it and concerned that every race is going to be a different political statement and i think they also are concerned because they know the countries that they race in are controversial you know with races in saudi arabia even bahrain in the past has been controversial and maybe still is and they also race in qatar and you know as i say we heard all of the stuff about the the world cup over the last month and formula one raced in qatar before the world cup was there and it's going to be back again this year so though i think they're just aware that the that those discussions will happen over the course of the year and as you say trying to nip it in the bud which is on the one hand, it's their prerogative, I suppose, but on the other hand, it's it's disappointing. Really interesting that you bring up the, the World Cup and, and Qatar. Obviously, what seems to have happened in Qatar was that Qatar told FIFA what to do and FIFA said, OK, no problems, right up to the very last minute deciding on the drink ban, which on the face of it was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. But then you think about what it actually says about the power of the country hosting it. So maybe this is the FAI getting their ducks in a row for when they are saying, actually, no, you can't wear a rainbow helmet and uh, we are going to take action. But it'll be a really interesting situation because Lewis Hamilton has reached a point where it feels like he's going to do what he wants to do. Well, and that's the thing. And if there's not going to be sporting sanctions, that's that will be the, the determining factor, won't it? Because we heard the FA come out and say, well, we were... I can't remember the exact phrasing, but they were threatened with yellow cards or unlimited sanctions. I think they were, was the was the phrase that um, the FA could have implemented on England or whoever wore the armband. Whereas, as you say, Hamilton, it's tough to say Hamilton's bigger than Formula One, but he's not far off, to be honest. And he's getting to the twilight of his career, even though he's still driving excellently. He's only got you know another two or three years remaining in the sport so is he going to be fussed that if he wears a rainbow helmet in qatar at the at the end of uh, or at the start of next season is he going to be fussed that he gets a million euro fine you know no i don't think so i think he would do that for for that um level of publicity that it would that it would get and for that level of awareness that it would raise so that's the challenging thing is when you have uh, an independent s- sporting celebrity such as Hamilton 
can the FIA really stop him doing anything he wants? I don't know. It's funny, Jack, isn't it? Because we, we like, so much controversy, understandably, over the Qatar World Cup, and yet uh, in Formula One, I mean, it's like water off a duck's back because they've been, uh, you know, having races in these countries for so many years. I remember even this season, wasn't it? And in, in Jeddah, where you know you have a rocket strike in Saudi Arabia, not far from the from the track, uh, you know, smoke coming across the track, and drivers wondering where this is coming from. So, if there's a sport that's well equipped to deal with with controversies or um, or issues like this, it is Formula One. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And Formula One has always been, uh, I suppose you could say, pushing the boundaries of of where they go to in the world. Even back to 1986, when there was a race in Hungary, um, they you know they went behind the the Iron Curtain for the first time for a for a for a motor race, and that was sort of at the the height or maybe the sort of downturn, but you know, cold war times and they still went there and went to Saudi Arabia for the first time, uh, two years ago, which, and, and, and like, and Bahrain, there was a lot of controversies in Bahrain in the 2010s. Baku in, uh, Azerbaijan gets a little bit of heat sometimes when formula one goes there and formula one's argument is, well, you know, we're a sport, we're here to race wherever we should race and and we're not here to make political statements but there's that crossover isn't there of where politics becomes human rights and that's the that's the gray area that formula one has found itself in a lot over the last few years and yeah before before the world cup in qatar even uh came about well not before it was announced obviously but before it happened it's funny, we were talking yesterday, Jack, on the show about the, the January transfer window in football and kind of looking ahead. And, and I'm looking at the team principals. Now, a lot of these names won't be familiar to people. If you've seen Drive to Survive, some of them will be. But some, some of the changes over the last month have been quite uh, incredible. So Fred Vasseur, who was with Alfa Romeo, is replacing Mattia Benato at Ferrari as team principal. Uh, Andreas Seidel from McLaren has joined the Cyber Group, so he's going to oversee, oversee this new um, Audi uh, venture into Formula One. McLaren have appointed Andreas Sella as principal. Just Capito has stepped down from from Williams. Like, is this this is fairly mad? It, it's it's unforeseen to see so many changes. It, it's like a crazy transfer deadline day almost in football. It's absolutely wild, honestly. It's I've never known anything like it in Formula One because there's not really a culture in Formula One of manager changes. You get it a little bit at Ferrari. They've been through quite a few team principles as they try and get back towards the front. But you look at Red Bull. Ever since they entered Formula One in uh, the mid-2000s, their team principal has been Christian Horner. And he's still there, uh, what, 15 years later. And Toto Wolff has been the team principal pretty much since Mercedes rejoined uh, Formula One. So you don't get huge turnovers of the management staff in the way that you, you do in football. So for all of this to kick off, in the closed season is is really really interesting i think that the ferrari one is obviously a reaction to their the fact that they had a really good car this year but um operationally were really very very weak and so mattia bonotto has has been fired there and and as a result fred vasseur's coming in and vasseur is a man with a huge amount of motorsport experience he's a really He's run teams in, in Formula 2 and Formula 3, the, the junior formula, for many, many years. And I think that Ferrari hope he can bring a bit of sort of operational nous 
to the team because that's what they're that's what they're lacking really. They seem to be able to build a good car, but they don't seem to be able to to race it well. So that's what they're hoping with Vasseur. And as you say, all the other uh, changes and appointments, uh, s- some were kind of seen coming, like Bonotto leaving Ferrari. That was kind of known for maybe a month or so now. But some com- came completely out of the blue. Jos Capita Williams, we had no idea that was coming. And suddenly there's a press release and you're like, oh, okay, okay, right, fine, what? And the McLaren stuff, and yeah, it's it's unprecedented, I think, this amount of movement. What do you put it down to? Um, I think that there's a, there's a, so I think the Ferrari one is, you know, as, as I mentioned, that sort of need for um, results, really, that Ferrari just aren't getting. I think the Andreas Seidel moving to Sauber, is a very good move from Audi. So I think that Audi have been very smart. They're joining Formula One in 2026. So they know they need to start properly planning now. So taking Andreas Seidel, who came into McLaren to work in Formula One for the first time, really, a couple of years ago, and has really overseen their resurgence from when they were near the back of the grid to now not quite winning races, but Lando Norris finished on the podium this year in Imola, and they're back towards running at the front. He nearly won a race last year, actually, Lando Norris in in uh, in Sochi. So Seidel has been really impressive. So I think it's a really smart move from Audi to to come in and and poach him. And then the Capito thing at Willie, and then obviously they've uh, appointed internally for with Andrea Stella, which I think is a good appointment. And Jos Capito, it just seems like it didn't gel really with Williams. He came in at the start of last season, and. I think there's very mixed feelings about him from within the team. They didn't make the amount of progress that they wanted this year. They still finished last in the team's championship. So I think it's just a a perfect storm. Of, like, they're not all related. I think that's the thing, is they're all quite independent incidents that, that happen to have happened this year. You know, Jost Capito could have had one more year. If Audi weren't coming into Formula One, then um, Seidel wouldn't be leaving McLaren. So it's all just that perfect storm that's made it so... Uh, wild really so it, it's a coincidence as a, opposed to a trend I, I did wonder if uh, I mean, look from the outside it, it feels like we're in the midst of a Formula 1 boom you see the viewership figures from America mm. for the first time Formula 1 is cracking the top 20 and it's not once it's twice and you're like okay well that is a revolution and so therefore the money and the marketing seems to be booming and the teams all seem to be making money at a level that they haven't done in the past certainly from the outside is 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 that the sense within the sport yes i think that that is very much the case i think that the formula 1 is in a really really good place right now and i think that that's part of the the williams reasoning i think for for getting rid of jos capito is that we're, we're now okay we're we were one of the worst funded teams on the on the grid probably the poorest team on the grid apart from maybe Haas but now there's a budget cap so everybody can only spend the same amount throughout the season there's more revenue coming in because there's more races there's going to be 24 races next season which is the most ever and as you say viewership in the US is huge there's going to be three F1 races in America next year there was a new race in Miami this season there's a new race in Las Vegas next season down the strip, which is going to be something quite remarkable. And I think, yeah, I think Formula One's in a, in, a, in a huge boom right now. And it's, I don't know, I don't know. For me, it's, for me, it's great to see because you spend the, 
you know, it's something I've loved since I was a kid. And when I was at school, you know, in the mid nineties, no one else liked Formula One. So you were a <laughs> bit of a loner there, you know, <laughs> whereas now suddenly everyone's interested and especially with Drive to Survive, you know, my cousins will text me being like, oh, can't believe Toto Wolf. And I'm like, what? I've known you for what? We've been, you've been my cousin for well, obviously my whole life and you've never had any interest in Formula One. All of a sudden, all these random people like F1 and and are watching it and it's uh, yeah it's cool it's cool but it just needs the racing to it was the perfect storm last year because you had Verstappen and Hamilton going head to head there were three seasons of drive to survive before that in very boring F1 seasons and so no one cared so it was the perfect storm of of an amazing sporting year combined with drive to survive combined with good races in America and Formula One's really riding that wave at the moment the uh, latest online trend is uh, Nepo Babies and obviously Mick Schumacher fans that uh, must have been feeling his collar a little bit going, um, what, what's going on here? Why, why am I getting caught up in this? Um, but he, he's got a job pretty quickly after having lost a job, which makes me feel like he was always going to get that job anyway. He's just good but not great. Is that the story? I think that's that's pretty accurate. I think he was a little bit unlucky, honestly, to lose his job with, with Haas. I thought he'd had a okay enough season. The first third of the year was was pretty dodgy he had some really big crashes in Saudi Arabia and in Monaco but then he kind of got himself back together had a really good race in Silverstone in Austria where he finished eighth and sixth looked like he was kind of back on track and the rest of the season was okay but that was about it and that's how he'd looked honestly in his in his junior formulas coming through the ranks he won formula two but not spectacularly there's a, when you when you see drivers coming up through the field, and we've seen it with Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, George Russell, and Lando Norris in particular, they come in and they win fairly comfortably the championships in the junior formula. That didn't happen with uh, with Schumacher. He won them, but not exactly at a canter. I think he could have done another season in in Formula One and, and been absolutely okay because he was absolutely okay this year. But ultimately, Haas decided that they they want a driver with um more more experience really who will get them more points which is understandable so he's going to be the reserve driver at mercedes which is an you know a neat synergy because his dad michael ended his career with mercedes in fact he started his professional career with mercedes in the late 1980s racing in sports cars so there's a nice synergy there i don't think reserve driver at mercedes will lead to a formula 1 seat to be honest i don't think he's you know now in the running to take over from Hamilton but if he impresses you never know because Nick DeVries was the reserve driver for Mercedes this season and he's ended up with a seat in F1 next year so the the Mick Schumacher story in F1 might not be completely over just yet. Finally Jack we, we, we'd asked you to kind of pick out your top few moments from the from the calendar year just gone and, and you mentioned Bahrain where we had the uh, uh, Leclerc winning ahead of Sainz, uh, Silverstone unbelievable race and Carlos Sainz winning his first ever Formula 1 Grand Prix and then of course one that stood out for me as well in, in my memory was Japan where Verstappen wins uh, you know gets enough points to, to secure the championship but that terrifying moment where Pierre Gasly uh, almost hits the, the tractor I think it was on the side of the side of the track what was your what was your standout moment from the from the year we've just had yeah I think Japan was a was a really crazy one because not only Verstappen won the championship but he won the championship not knowing he'd won the championship because he didn't think he had enough points Johnny Herbert told him, you've won the championship. Verstappen said thanks, but didn't really believe him. The team didn't believe him. No one really believed that the FIA had got it right, but they had, even though they got it wrong. It was a very complicated and strange point scenario. So that was a, 
a weird way to end the season. But I think Bahrain was really exciting because it looked like we were going to have a title fight. Leclerc and Verstappen were wheel to wheel for three or four laps, swapping places for the lead. And you were like, okay, it's not Verstappen versus Hamilton anymore. It's Verstappen versus Leclerc. But I think that Silverstone race was just, it was the race of the the season. You just never knew what was going to happen. Verstappen dominating it gets a bit of damage. The car drops back, drops pace. And all of a sudden you've got, Hamilton overtook two cars in one corner at one point. While, uh, while Sainz was fighting with Perez, Hamilton came through to take both of them. It was, it was, uh, it was a remarkable, remarkable race. Looked as though Hamilton was going to win it for a while, but Sainz took his first win and it was just a, a brilliant Formula One race. That, that, the 2022 British Grand Prix will be one that, you know, we talk about in 10 years time of being like, what a race. Huge crash at the start as well for, for Joe Guanyu. It just really had everything. Jack, great to have you with us this morning. Enjoy Christmas. Thanks a million. No worries. Have a good day. That's uh, Jack Nichols there from uh, BBC Five Live, commentator from uh, the Formula One season just gone, the highlights and everything else. What was your highlight? That's a, you see, it was, it was a kind of a, an anticlimactic season because of the way we, we the previous season had ended in Abu Dhabi. Everything's going to be an anticlimax after that. Yeah. I think, look, it's a, it's a random one. Kevin Magnussen's performance across the year in a Haas. Uh, I love when, when drivers. I'm not do. a hipster, he said earlier. I'm not a hipster, he said. You know, what what well have we just picked? You Kevin Magnussen in the in the house. Well, well, when drivers do well in crap cars, then they're really a good driver. And Kevin Magnussen, I think, proved that this year. He's he's in a crap car, and right. yet he is still getting results. So uh, yeah, that was my highlight. The low light, of course, being Pierre Gasly uh, nearly having catastrophe in Japan. So um, yeah, a couple of a couple of very big standout moments. All right. RTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is eight fifty. Um, Carl Milani is with us Carl, good morning to you Hi lads, how's it going? What's going on? Very well Waiting for the weekend mm. people, Early alarms hit different don't they around Christmas People have checked out mentally my, like my housemates have already finished for Christmas so yeah. it makes it all the tougher I think to Tell you what on the way in this morning I noticed a lot of people still out Still out? Yeah, yeah. What time yeah. was that? Uh, I got the bus at four Jesus, so I was yeah, ten, yeah. walking through town at about uh, half past four See, people can't get taxis home. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of a lot of taxis around actually that time. Noticeably more. Yeah, right. Quite a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you do question your life decisions when you're on the way to work. People night. aren't going. Um, <laughs> people aren't going into town as much, I think, because they're fed up and not being able to get taxis or buses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely been a, a local backlash. Hundred percent. I'm very lucky in that you know when you're in summer within walking distance. Relatively. I didn't realise it was the dice bar you were in last night. The new dice bar. The new dice bar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Very good. People remember that. Because um, one of the commenters was like, "Oh, you should check out this place." I'm like, "Well, that's, we've literally been talking about that's, it the whole show." The place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Here's is literally from, it. Uh, Miguel C. Is that Fatality. Yeah. Miguel N. It's a completely different vibe to what the old dice bar was, apparently. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's all changed. It's really cool. Uh, music was fantastic. Bopping away, so I was sitting in the seat. Um, but lucky, lucky to have that, that within walking distance. And the same in Monaghan as well, whereas where we're in kind of just the outskirts of the town, we're walking distance. Footpath to, to all the hipster places. To all the, the pubs, yeah. the hipster. There's not many hipster pubs in Monaghan. You'll be unsurprised to where hear. Where you are, you bring the hipster. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's my, that's my uh, there There's actually lots going on, Carl, surprisingly for whatever day, the 22nd. Yeah, yeah loads. Um, and big game tonight in the Carabao Cup, Liverpool against Manchester City. Eight o'clock start for that one. Creven Kelleher uh, likely to start for Liverpool there. Celtic, nine points clear again at the top of the Scottish Premiership. They were 2-1 winners over Livingston last night. Arsenal beat uh, Zurich by nine goals to one in the Women's Champions League. Kenny McCabe involved there for Arsenal tonight. Chelsea take on PSG in Group A. And uh, some sad news from Pele's 
uh, current health situation. His daughter says that he's taking huge comfort from the messages of love he's receiving from around the world. But the 82-year-old will spend Christmas in hospital due to the progression of his cancer. And doctors say he requires greater care as he fights colon cancer with close attention being paid to heart and kidney dysfunction. So let's hope that everything uh, works out there. In terms of the darts, disappointing night last night for Limerick's Willie O'Connor. He exited the tournament after a 3-0 loss to Germany's Gabriel Clemens. No such worries for the three-time champion Michael van Gerwen, who beat Louis Williams 3-0. Gary Anderson among the names in action today. So too James Wade and Vincent van der Voort. Uh, good news for Dublin football supporters last night. Five-time All-Ireland winner Jack McCaffrey featured for Dublin North. That was in the Dave Hickey Cup final last night. 2015 Footballer of the Year, of course, back in the Dublin squad ahead of next season. And he featured for Dublin North in that win over Dublin South last night at DCU. And uh, David Brady has announced that he's stepping down as manager of the Retold Senior Footballers, guided them to the Meath County title this year following a narrow win in the final in October. And Beth Mead won the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year award last night. TV, one of the stories of the year. Ah, brilliant. Uh, you need the, that kind of, you know, the, the rumble in the sideline, the shoulders and the emotional post-match interviews with our own Ashling O'Reilly that yeah, sort of stuff yeah. you need that like uh, it's hardly surprised that David Brady brings emotion to whatever he does but he'll be heavily in demand yeah, yeah I'd time. be surprised if we don't see him in an inter-county job sooner rather than later yeah, sooner rather than later I would think yeah, yeah. Oh, you'd love him in charge of your county the yeah. passion he brings like mm. there's just something about him yeah um, I, I like I actually just want him to get the Mayo job I don't. I don't. I, look, uh, maybe know, he, he wouldn't he, manage he, another. He lives, he lives in this part of the the country, so it would be difficult. But, um, I, I mean, like you can see how great he would be for loads of counties in mm. in the area. Mm. But, um, like I really hope that we get the opportunity to see him in the Mayo job at some point. And obviously, we have a brand new Mayo ticket in, and that's going to be there for a significant period of time. And if you're the Mayo County Board, you're hoping that works well and that Rochford steps up again and that that's all part of that system and you've got succession plan in place. But maybe, I don't know, you know, it's, um, but uh, DB being around the place is just good. It's box ah, office. It's tough. He seems, he strikes me as the type of fellow, maybe could he maybe not manage another county? It would be tough for him to manage. No, well, he could manage in a way at um, a club level and, you know. It's different at club level, though, isn't it? I don't, you, I don't you could manage a different club but maybe it's tough to, to manage against your own, your own county. Like if, Say he took the Meath job and they were up against Mayo in a huge All Ireland quarter final. I mean, be tough. I just can't imagine. Like David Brady managing against Mayo fills me with just strange feelings. I can't see it happening. But no, he definitely has a career in inter- county management for sure. For sure. Vinnie Perth thought of the notion. I don't know. It's half tongue in cheek, but um, you should be from your own country to manage in international football. It just should be a rule. Like that's just the rule. And uh, I wonder should we just do the same in Gaelic? Yeah. Like at, at inter county level. Yeah, well, in my own county, I'd like to see Vinnie Corey take the job. I was quite happy because you think about the young players in the county. Like, no one's going to get missed. He knows everyone in the county. He knows the young players that are coming through. Cause he, oh, but then he's got an axe to grind against some young fella who stepped on his toe when he was 12. He's still playing Vinnie as well at club level, which well, is, which is funny. Know, like he's, he's probably marking some of the lads he's managing. You're definitely like, do I go extra hard or extra soft now if I want to get in the team? Yeah. I mean, you have to try to go extra hard. But then, Oh, you like, do, surely, yeah. yeah, there yeah. Are kind of, like, Kildare have benefited from outside managers, haven't they? Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, Paddy O'Shea and Westmeath. Yeah, there you go. There's, there's examples of when it does work. I could say Mikko, like you know, in the Ireland final, didn't quite get things right. Didn't get his matchups correct. Yeah, not yeah. that we're like bringing that up, but you know, sorry, but Malachy O'Rourke is not a Monaghan man, and he's right, one yeah. of our greatest managers. I still go. want a statue of him in the Diamond of Monaghan Town if, if the County Council are listening. But yeah, I, I, I think it. 
I think it works. I don't. I don't think it's the same in G. I don't think it has to be a, an in-house manager. It's great. It's great when it is and when it, when it works. But I think it's kind of working in Galway at the minute. Paul Joyce has something special going on down there. But um, it seems to be the way a lot more counties are headed. You know, picking picking one of their own. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see. I can see the argument well, to both. There's I, a question: Who's the last outside manager to win an All Ireland football? I'm just trying to think off the top of my head here now. But obviously, Dublin had Jim Gavin. Pat yep. Roy, Eamon Fitzmaurice was with Kerry in 14. Jim McGuinness. Jack O'Connor last season. Jim McGuinness. Um, oh, the throne. Connor Cunahan, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Joe Kern and Mickey Hart. Ha- you have to go back a while, don't you? Uh, Sean Boylan. Uh, John O'Mahony with Eugene Galway. McGee. John O'Mahony, it could be. John O'Mahony with Galway, I guess. Oh, yeah, of course it is. 2001. Yeah, Someone can correct us in the comments. It's John O'Mahony and Eugene McGee before that, is it? Is there anybody else? Probably is. I think that was the thing with the World Cup and the European Championship, isn't there only one outside manager that's won? Was it Greece in 2004? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like that. All the World Cups have been yeah. won by yeah. that nationality. I think so. Again, Jeez. open to correction, but maybe there's something in it. That's just surprising, a, just yeah. on the men's side, obviously. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mad. John O'Mahony won the last yeah. out of house manager. Yeah. That's a guess now, but. Yeah, yeah, someone will probably tell yeah, us in the, yeah. in the comments straight away if we're wrong. I don't think we are wrong. Anything else going on, Carl? Uh, that's about it. Um, so Liverpool, Manchester City is the big one tonight and then the draw for the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup and then back to the Premier League on the 26th. So Galbally hard Pierce to revert is, back. It is, it is tough to get back to get back, back here. So I want to mention as well, Galbally Pierce is winning the Ulster Intermediate Club Championship last night, beating uh, Bantys Cardiff. Mm. Uh, this is a game that was rearranged a number of times. But Galbally now in the semi-final of the All-Ireland playing... Dunmore McHales, my dad's club team, who won the Connacht recently for the first time ever. So, shout out to Dunmore McHales. Hope they do the business. It's a, the Donnellan Club, of course. That's a, a perfect segue because we're we're going to Fergal Boland, who's probably better known as a footballer, but is actually right now uh, a hurler. Fergal, good morning to you. How are you? How are you now, lads? Thanks for having me on. The, the uh, split personality of the dual player is something that you've had to embrace your entire life. How's that going for you at the moment? Ah, uh, not too bad. So at the, at the minute, it's kind of mainly hurling. But I suppose um, I've kind of I was not on the footballers with the minute. So I suppose I'm at the minute. I'm just kind of focusing everything on hurling, and that's kind of where I'm at at the minute. Um, I know the last few years I would always have been at this stage of the year with the male footballers, and then uh, hurling with touring. So it's kind of tricky enough to you know balance the two um, at that time of the year because you don't want to be missing too much of the football because if you miss it, I was. Kind of one of them players that if I missed Anthony, I would have, you know, fell myself down the ladder a good bit. So I always had to be kind of involved in both setups, um, if that makes sense. Does do you feel like the skill set in hurling has helped you become a better footballer over the years? Um, definitely, there is good correlation there. Yeah, you're definitely your hand-eye coordination. Like obviously in hurling, um, it has to be really, really sharp, um, and that definitely, definitely does help when it comes back to football. Then you kind of your eye is in straight away. Um, so it definitely does and even talking to other lads they'd feel the same about it as well yeah uh, there was always yeah. a fear I think um, and this is going back two decades that uh, the hurlers would come back bulked up too much to be as nimble as they need to be um, but then it turns out that uh, the greatest Kilkenny team of all time had a lot of big men on it and as uh, yeah. time is progressing we're realising that Limerick having a lot of footballers on their team has actually helped didn't do Grod Hegarty any harm I think is the general sense um, so you've been able to work on both at the same time it feels like yeah. in, from your perspective yeah yeah definitely like um, I would have found throughout the years like playing from playing games hurling is definitely a lot more physical than football 
that's what, what from personal experience, even after games, like uh, even after Sunday, like it's taking you two or three days now to recover from a game. Whereas football, you mightn't get as as big a hit, I would have found. Um, so I definitely think it's hurling is a, a lot more physical um, at the minute anyway. That's, that's what I kind of feel. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Is it, I, like, uh, it's a hard one to pin down. I, I, I don't know. Is it just uh, with the, the stick involved or whatever? But you seem to be getting them picking up a lot more belts in the game. Um, I know the last day now, geez, we got a lot of, a lot of the boys were sore. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a good question, to be honest. Which do you prefer playing Fergal? Um, so I would have always kind of grown up um, say in primary school I'm, I'm from the village of Turing so right in the middle of it so I would always kind of hurling would have been always number one for me and then I would have kind of started playing football then as I was kind of getting older and whatever but hurling probably would always have been uh, definitely number one for me um, just where I'm from like everyone in the village where we're living at the minute whatever there's three or four hundred people in the village and everyone is just completely and utterly obsessed with hurling like there's not there, everyone would support uh, our local club Ahamore football and Mayo football but everyone was just completely and utterly engrossed in hurling and I suppose I probably got dragged into that as well um, so I probably would hurling would be number one yeah and uh, sorry I should probably know this but it is, uh, have you reached this stage of the competition before in the past or is this a new adventure for the club uh, so this basically we have we won four kind of titles and then we got bet in three at the three of the semi-finals we lost to Nace last year um, Father Neil the year before and then Bally Raggart in 2017 so this is the first year we've actually got to the All-Ireland Final um, so that's kind of where it's at now yeah so it's nice to nice to finally get over the line in the semi-final the last day so we're just delighted now You look at where Nate's have gone from yeah. last year to this year it's pretty impressive so you know you can you can begin to dream as a club I suppose Yeah exactly and even if you look in kind of more recent years I suppose Mount Linster Rangers they won um, an All-Ireland Intermediate Final in a couple of years ago and then they were in the senior final the, the year after so like do you know what that's kind of what the sort of kind of our, our wild ambition I suppose at the minute that would be to base it off that but do you know look we haven't won we're only in the final at the minute we haven't won Anthony yet um, so we know we've we've a massive task in a few weeks time You had a big performance uh, in the semi-final up in Cavan at the weekend as well Fergal it's night. It, uh, there was a great photograph I saw of uh, yourself and your Uncle Hugh on the pitch celebrating yeah. afterwards he has the, the hat on and the, the programme curled up he looks like the yeah. stereotypical GEA fan it's a lovely, it must have been a lovely moment yeah yeah, it was a brilliant moment it's a gas, he's a gas man I don't know how we got into the, the pitch before the game to take pictures as well he ran on and <laughs> got in from the stand but he always seems to be there but um, oh no, it was just an, it was an unbelievable uh, win like it was just it was felt like there was so much pressure on that game that we had to win because we lost three previous semi-finals so just at the end I suppose seeing the joy of all the supporters was just something special now that I'll, I'll never forget. You'd said before the game, it was, or after the game, that uh, prior to the throw-in, it was one of the most nervous you'd ever been before a match? Yeah, it was crazy. I, even like the game was originally down for Saturday, so um, that we were kind of planning all week for Saturday with the kind of, in our head, we knew that there was a chance that it might be Sunday. And I, like even leading up to the game, I know I was so nervous the Friday, Saturday, um, for some reason, and I, well, I usually wouldn't get nervous for games, but I just felt like there was so much on the line that if we lost another semi-final, it would be so hard to kind of come back and you know get to that stage again. Because like we in Mayo, like I know there's whatever two or three clubs we we have a, such a rivalry with Ballyhawness and such respect for them. But like it's every year there's literally nothing between us. And you know I know the last few years we've won a lot of county titles, but we won them by a point or whatever. So it, it it's a long road to get back to a semi-final. Um, so we're just delighted basically to get over the line there last day 
Uh, Fergal, you uh, are playing hurling. You said at start United with the footballers at the moment. Is, yeah. is, was that difficult to to deal with, or are you getting on with it? What, how do you feel about that whole thing now? Yeah, like I suppose it, it kind of happened. Uh, I got kind of got let go the week before the county final, and it was just literally coming home from uh, touring train. And at the time, like, geez, obviously you're you're crestfallen, you're heartbroken that you're you're it, you're gone away from it. And then I suppose as the weeks go by and you're playing with touring and there's a good buzz around the group you kind of you forget about it for a while but um, like obviously when the hurling is over in, in three weeks time I'll, I'll reassess that and obviously it's going to be it'll be difficult not being involved because geez, I, some of my best friends are involved in that team um, but yeah look that's the way it is at the minute I, it allows me now at the minute to really push everything in, into touring hurling and um, focus 100% on it but I suppose when the season finishes with the hurling I just, I suppose, reassess my performance uh, for the club and, and the county and see where I can get better um, off the field and then have a good, hopefully, good club season with my club, Ahamore, and hopefully try and, and push my way back into the team again. And is, is the conversation straightforward? It's like, look, you need to do this, this and this to get back in, or it's just like we're going a different direction? How, how does it break down? Yeah, kind of a, a bit of both, like, uh, to be fair. Like, I know, I know there's definitely areas in my game that... Um, I suppose that would have been highlighted that I need to improve on. So it's, it's up to me now in the next couple of months to try and work on them and really focus on them and have a good season with um, with my club, um, Ahamore, and try and force my way back in. I suppose. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of straightforward enough. I suppose conversation. Yeah, really. And, like, is it the seven stages of grief? Like, you know, anger, disappointment, like, screw you, I'm going to prove you wrong, or, okay, yeah, I actually, I understand. Did you did you have any sense it was coming, I suppose? Um, yeah, I was. I probably would have been caught on, uh, on the half of small, but uh, I suppose I played a good bit, in, well, played, came on in a lot of all the championship games last year, so I thought, you know, I might be... I might be in the panel for whatever start of the league or start the FBD and then see how we get on. But look, that's completely up to the manager's uh, decision. Um, just wasn't to be. And, but at the minute, like to be honest, I was I would have been disappointed for two or three days. But after that, then I was literally I was so lucky that I had something to focus on and no better place to go back to than than touring your home club and with lads you grow up with. And I have such respect for that. I I, I haven't really thought about it a whole pile since, to be honest. Um, and I won't until after we finish with Turin in uh, three weeks' time. The extent of um, Kevin McStay's backroom team is is, is is quite incredible. You've got Tony Buckley and, and, and Stephen Rochford, as we know, in there. Yeah. Uh, Liam yeah. McHale has a responsibility for the under-20s liaison. Is Damien Mulligan the man you need to impress with Ahamore? Like he, he seems to be the guy given the responsibility for club liaison within the, the backroom team. So for players looking to break yeah. into that Mayo panel, is he the man that, that I guess you need to impress? Yeah, I suppose he is. Like, I suppose they're in fairness to all of them, they would have been at a lot of the club games and stuff. So, I'm and I worked with uh, Donny and uh, Stephen Rochford before. So, like, it's really you nearly need to impress them all. Um, I suppose, and like, it, it's probably shown if you you play well with your club, you'll get you'll get a chance to back in with your your county. And obviously now, like with the split season, it's not ideal to come in. Like down through the years, you might have had a, a championship game at the start of the year in April, and then if you played well in that, you might get back into whatever the county set up. But like, obviously, with the split season and the way Mayo works, you're not playing league football till uh, into May, June. So that's and you know that's kind of right in the peak of championship into county football as well. So it's difficult to get you force your way in uh, mid season. Um, so it's just kind of that's that's the way it is with club season, really. But, yeah. yeah. The one thing I, I would say about Mayo is that they've seemed 
to be better than most other counties at making sure that players who uh, leave the system aren't gone forever. That there's loads of players who actually yeah. have been um, brought back in at later stages, having gone away and done some uh, specific work, and um, you know, gone on to have absolutely brilliant careers, footballer of the year in, yeah. in some instances. So, I, ho- yeah. I hope that's giving you some comfort. Is it? Yeah, like even if you look back to, I suppose, Colin Boyle or even Tom Parsons, a few of them, and I've been in contact with a good few of them, like they've, whatever, were let go and then came back and basically there were different players and they came back in their careers. I know Colin Boyle was kind of on the periphery, probably similar enough to myself, not playing a whole pile and then came back and won whatever, four or five all So Same with TP. He um, he would he got let go and whatever in, in 13 and then came back, started midfield then in 14 and had a great career at midfield. So yeah, it definitely does. You look at them stories and... Um, it definitely does give you a bit of inspiration, but like you know, when the hurling's over, I'm, I'm going to work my hardest in yeah. whatever gym skills the whole lot to try and force my way back in. Uh, you, you bring up Tom Parsons there. I was kind of when you, you talked about like um, this is basically your life for so long. Uh, have you benefited from? Have you thought about like the exterior life to being just a GA player? Because when your identity is so much bound up in being a male hurler and footballer, a, a club hurler, a club footballer, um, when a significant portion of that is taken away. Um, yeah. you do look around and go geez I need to make sure that the rest of my life is in order here yeah I yeah that's that's a good point yeah I suppose like what I found is even at this time of the year like if I was playing if I was involved with Mayo and touring like your your whole life basically is taken up with either going hurling training or either doing gym session with Mayo or having a meeting or everything and now you feel like you know you have so much free time for other things in, in your life so you I, obviously you get a to spend more time with your your girlfriend, your family, and all that, all all um, the whole time as well. So, which is good as well. But there definitely is like it's it's amazing when you actually are that is taken away from you. The amount of free time is just insane because, like with any intercounty uh, team, once you're you get up in the morning, that's all you're thinking about is how can you how can you eat well today to be training better this evening? How can you you know yeah get your protein intake in and all that sort of stuff? So it's, once that's kind of taken away. There's a huge gap there, really, in your life. Um, but yeah, so definitely. What, what was the crack like on the the bus home on, on Sunday, Fergal? I heard there was a pit stop in Granard to watch the World Cup. Yeah, final. yeah, it was a I was serious crack. Now we uh, we we decided to we we start or we left Cavan. I think it was just about uh, when the World Cup final was starting, and then uh, we stopped at half or it was we stopped at half time. I think it was in yeah Granard. And Ballygunner and Ballyhale was on, which I was kind of nearly more inter- more interested in. Um, and then the World Cup was on, and we stayed there until uh, in the normal time, and then uh, came back to we come back to our village. So there's no basically there's no pub or anything in our in our village. So we had to go. We go to our kind of our, our uh, the neighbour vi- our parish, which is Ahmore. So that's the the, the pub we go to. Kind that's Eileen's pub, is it? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. So it's kind of famous all around the country. But um, well, we some crack in there now. In fairness, with some night, and even I was talking to one of the older fellas in the club on Monday morning, and he said he said he'd many a good year or many a good night in in France, which had been the pub and touring. He said, but that was just that took the biscuit. He said that was something special, and it was just amazing. Even thinking back, like everyone was in such good form, everyone's on such such a buzz, like so. It'll definitely be one of the nights I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, Nathan Murphy has been WhatsApping me in the middle of this, reminding me of a story that um, Tommy Walsh told about. He was handing out medals, was very excited because he thought, finally, I'm going to go to training and I'll have one over on Brian Cody. And he sidles up to Cody at training and he's all happy with himself. And he's like, uh, I met a man 
who had 24 club championship medals. Yeah. And uh, Cody goes, oh yeah, Joe Henry from, um, from Turin. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> obviously it's, it's famous. So he's a, he's a club legend, right? Yeah, he's a, he's a club legend. Yeah, his, uh, his brother would have been the, one of the founding members of the club. Um, but Joe uh, would, have been, would train us up all along and uh, he lives in Castlereagh at the minute but he's a, he's a legend in the club. He was, a, he was on an all-star trip back in the, in the 80s so he's a big legend in the club, Joe is. So maybe that's where Cody had his inside information but Tommy was like, yeah. And yeah. I, it, I just, I have this picture in my head now of like Tommy constantly trying to find hurling trivia that he could, uh, he could ask Cody yeah. a question and Cody went, oh no, but Mastermind yeah, knows yeah. it all. Yeah, I actually, I actually remember that Tommy coming up, he presented the medals to us, uh, gas man. There's a crack out of Tommy, I'll tell you. He, yeah, there's a man sure passionate there about the sport. The, is the pressure yeah. off now? It's Mona Lean, the uh, Limerick champions in the, in the final, what is the weekend of January 14th or 15th for you, Fergal? So yeah. is, is the pressure yeah, off yeah, now? So you're, you're in uncharted territory, I suppose. Well, yeah, but like I suppose at the, at the start of the year, like once we are always our aim, the last few years would have been to win an All-Ireland Intermediate Club title. And that's not, not sounding cocky or anything. We know in order to do that, we have to win our, our own county and then Connacht. Um, but like I suppose we're looking at the game in a few weeks' time. We're not going up there. We want to win, and if we don't win, you know, we, it's not going to be, you know, it's it's going to be a small bit of a, a letdown. Um, so we're definitely that's that's our aim. We're not happy just to be in Co Park and play in Co Park, as special as it will be. We all we want to do is win in, in three weeks' time. Um, and I suppose like it's go, it's going to be it's it's going to be a special night for the club. But we have to make sure now that we do our job and, and we we play. We're supposed to be one hour away from winning all Ireland title and we just have to make sure we try and do our best to do that. Well, look, we wish you the very best with it, Fergal. You've yeah. been great with your time this morning. Enjoy the Christmas yeah. break and thanks a million. Thanks a million, lads. Have a good Christmas. That's uh, Fergal Boland there uh, giving us his thoughts ahead of the All-Ireland Intermediate Club Hurling Final. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. C Bracken's been in touch on YouTube to say, enjoying the show here in Gatwick Airport on the way home for Christmas. Happy Christmas, lads, and thanks for all this year. Mm. And uh, thanks to you guys for tuning in um, all around the world. Must be a lovely feeling sitting in the airport coming home for Christmas. I mean, a lot of people, I was even chatting to people last night who hadn't been home in two, three Christmases maybe because of all that's ensued, but uh, it must be a special feeling, like especially if you're coming home from somewhere distant, Australia or New Zealand or America or wherever. So fair play for tuning in, no matter where you are. When will you point the car north? Point the car north tomorrow afternoon. Try and beat the traffic. I think a lot of people are... Tomorrow's the day, isn't it? Everyone heads home. 23rd, Friday afternoon. Yeah. So get on the road early. Somebody, somebody yesterday was making the point, it should be uh, Sunday, Christmas every year. I was like, I mean... That's not how it works, is well, it? Well, we could, we, could, we, we could make these decisions. Somebody, somebody sometime made the decision going to be the 25th. It's totally random, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. Uh, but then I was like, okay, I see, I see what you're doing, but I'll raise you a Thursday. Thursday for Christmas Day? Yeah. Why? Because you've got Thursday off, you got Friday off. You got Saturday and Sunday's the weekend. Oh. It's guaranteed. But if it's on Sunday, you're back to work on the Tuesday. I'm like four day weekend. Gonna have some fun. Yeah, yeah, fair. I'll admit, let's let's start a petition. Move Christmas. I don't know how far it's going to get. People are fairly wedded to the 25th, I think. But yeah, I like I like the idea. I'm not against it. Um, speaking of weddings, uh, we want to say a very um, massive congratulations. Uh, what do you say when someone's getting married? Happy wedding, happy happy marriage. Uh, Emma, together, yeah. Emma Carroll, who um, makes us look and sound good on a daily basis. I see the YouTube commenters already going, hey. do no, she doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she does. She's the one who is responsible for us um, managing to have 
uh, good pictures and good sound. And um, she's getting married. So a massive congratulations to Emma Maraid. And um, we hope the sun shines uh, on the 28th. And... Um, that everybody has an amazing time, or the snow falls. It could be quite a Maybe nice. Maybe it could be amazing. Yeah, some nice pictures. Once everybody is there, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Congrats to Emma and Marie. That's that's uh, it's a great time of year. I think to have a wedding as well. Yeah, every, everyone's buzzing. Everyone's happy anyway. So in the, in that in between period, it'll be great. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. So um, that is, and from everybody at Off the Ball, we're uh, absolutely thrilled for you. Uh, somebody else is saying uh, Gatwick to Knock is a great flight at Christmas. Everyone buzzing. To knock specifically, right? Yeah, yeah. And sorry, Stephen's obviously um, insulted that I've uh, credited Emma with uh, the sound and the vision. You know, she does both. She does everything. So today, Stephen and Jojo are making us sound and look good. And Jojo as well, yeah. yeah, Yeah. Or they can take responsibility for any of the... Yeah, that's the bit where you accidentally press the wrong button there. 16 minutes past nine this morning, OTBAM brought to you live every morning in association with uh, Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTV Sports Radio for you today. OTV Gold at one o'clock is Correspondent. Leaders' Questions with Stuart Lancaster at three o'clock. Our retro panel is Structure versus Spontaneity. I mean, I have no idea what's on the panel. <laughs> it sounds great. Spontaneous panel. Six o'clock is Brian O'Driscoll meeting Ethan Asewa. Yeah, that is great. And then the show is live tonight with Nathan from Seven. Follow off the ball across all of our social channels. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want to leave a comment. That's going to be important um, in the new year now. Uh, up next, former Ireland sprinter and Sanctuary Runners Irish lead Ailish McSweeney will be on to talk about the group's Christmas drive. Stay tuned. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, Sanctuary Runners are running a Christmas initiative to try and get us to run to the North Pole. It's, uh, it's tricky, but it's manageable. Ailish McSweeney is with us this morning to talk to us about it. Ailish, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I understand you have COVID, like um, half the country at the moment. So thank you for uh, doing this for us. Yeah. Oh, what a time of the year! But actually, I think we may just have a bad flu. We're we're fingers crossed and okay. flat out testing here before hopefully a trip home to Cork. Well, that would be ideal. Um, obviously, it's not ideal, but better than um, the the alternative. Just for people who are unfamiliar with Sanctuary Runners, will you just explain what the organisation is? Yeah, of course. It's a solidarity through sports initiative. So we use running, walking, jogging just to bring people together in their communities and especially refugees and asylum seekers. So, you know yourself, sport is a fantastic way to bring people together, make friends, make connections. And and that's what Sanctuary Runners have been doing since 2018 setting up groups around the country, especially where there are direct provision centres. Now, at the moment, obviously, there's emergency accommodation centres in places there never would have been before. Um, So we have new groups popping up all around the country to welcome people to our country. Um, And it's really a lot of crack. It's really a lot of fun. You get to meet people um, who are new to your community and widening your circle and and get out in the fresh air. We all need a bit of an excuse, especially at this time of the year, a bit of, bit of extra motivation to get us out of the house. Yeah, I think um, like it, it's mad that there's no official uh, government initiative or organisation. This is a completely grassroots thing that, that got founded and that has grown from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, back in 2018, Graham Clifford, who set this up, he was running himself one day and was thinking... God, I do not literally not know anybody who's come to this country seeking asylum. How, you know, I would just not bump into anyone. And he said, 
why don't this would be lovely to run shoulder to shoulder with someone. So it started at Cork City Marathon that year. They have relay races up to now they have had anyway. So they started entering teams that were a mix between Irish citizens and residents, migrants who might have come here to work and people who were in the international protection system. And from there, people were tapping them on the shoulder saying, oh, can I do this in my town? Can I do this in my village? And it wasn't initially the plan, but it just absolutely took hold. So we've around 30 groups at the moment um, and growing all the time. We've actually three new ones uh, launching in January in Gort, in Athlone and in Yall. So it's picking up pace. Um, the Christmas initiative is a, a, a nice way for um, people to talk about this and to get involved. So can you explain to us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So we've been going since Sunday. Uh, we're actually going from the North Pole to Oris on Uthron, um to deliver the President of Ireland a very special gift of some magical running shoes. Apparently he does an annual inspection of Phoenix Park every year and needs to cover every inch. Um, and he just needed these before Christmas. So Santa wasn't going to be able to make it until the big day. Um, and he called on us and Rashida Adelecki has pulled the team together, Ireland's fastest woman, um, and has been supporting the team all along the way. So we're nearly there. We've got about 1,300 kilometres to do between today and maybe into tomorrow to try and get there. Um, And really, it's just been a fun focus for all our running groups in the week up to Christmas. For some people in our running groups, it might be their first Christmas in Ireland. And, you know, it gives a little bit of extra buzz and excitement uh, to the week. Um, But people have been coming in who've never been sanctuary runners before, just sharing their pictures and photos on social media, donating their kilometres, there's nothing else to donate, so it's not a fundraising initiative. It's just about donating your miles and your smiles um, and bringing a little bit of visibility um, to, I suppose, the fact that there are so many people new to our country uh, who we would like to extend a welcome to. Yeah. And the president, I suppose, it's not an accident that he's involved and happy to be involved because he's always been very outspoken um, about us being a nation who is welcoming and that's at the core of who we are. Um, so it's been so much fun to to have the president behind this. Yeah, he's also a massive sports fan. That's the the other aspect of this. Like, um, you know, you, you talked briefly at the start about the power of sport to bring people together. And so often on this show, we're guilty of it. We end up having long conversations about uh, multi-million pound footballers. But really, and this time of the year and this initiative and even the Go Mile are opportunities for us to remember that sport is really about grassroots. Like, we we get enjoyment from it, not just from sitting on the couch, but it's supposed to be a participation thing. Yeah, exactly. The more people involved, uh, the better for sure. I mean, we see it every week at park runs across the country. We'd run there a lot. Um, they'd be very supportive. We see it at local clubs who welcome runners in and when they see them wearing the Sanctuary Runner t-shirt. Um, you're right. I, I know myself from my time in Leavale Athletics or on Irish teams, like the, you make so many friendships and so many connections through sport. They, they last your uh, lifetime, you know, and it helps you in ways you might never have expected. Um, and yeah, that is an absolutely lovely thing. I went for a run and we were on Strava as well, logging up the other night. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going out here now just to get my kilometres for the for the quest. You know, that was my main motivation, but it wasn't the nicest of evenings. And I bumped into two of my coaches, fellow coaches from Scary's Athletic Club, where, where I coach at the moment. And all of a sudden, the run was just so much easier. I flew around the head here, didn't even think about stopping, which I normally would do about every 100 metres. I'm a sprinter, not a, not a, not a long distance runner. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. So, yeah, it's, it is so powerful. Um, and we see it really when all our groups come together at certain times during the year for big runs. The, the crack is just mighty. 
It is amazing, Eilish. It's, it's a great way for people to get to know, you know, people seeking asylum and, and refuge in this country because, as you say, like even my own mum does the, you know, the park run and stuff at home in Monaghan and it's nearly the cup of coffee and tea after the, after the run and that's, that's most important. It's the social aspect as well, like. Oh yeah, the chats. Well, I can guarantee your mum knows Sanctuary Run is so because they've got a great presence uh, in Monaghan Park Run actually. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it is all about the chats, isn't it? Sure, some people like only come along for the chats and the coffee um, and that's fantastic too. It's, 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 the, the thing about it as well is, and we kind of spoke on the show as well about the, the importance of exercise for mental health and that sort of thing as well. Uh, you know, pee often comes up and, and the importance of pee, especially for young girls in the country, maybe who are underrepresented in that, in that regard. But just to get out and about, the benefits can't be understated. Oh, absolutely. And especially I think when the days are shorter and um, we all need it, you need that endorphin hit. And when you come in, you feel you feel so good. Um, and I love seeing that in the photos that come through from Sanctuary Runners. We we tend to be on a lot of WhatsApp groups. And on a Saturday morning after a park run, you could literally get a hit of 100 photos. <laughs> like there might be a few struggling runner photos in it, but it's mostly all about the, the smiles. And yeah, interesting you say about the about getting the girls and, and women involved. Like it was fantastic to be able to have um, Rashida as our kind of as our person who launched it and and showcasing uh, I suppose the success of Irish women in sport this year I think we've seen that a lot over the last few weeks when it comes to lookbacks and stuff um, the the women have been sweeping the boards a little bit I suppose when it comes to some of the top honours and it is so inspiring um, that whole you know can't see it can't be it kind of thing is uh, it, it's really important. It's funny, right? Because um, Can't See, Can't Be was also like uh, dreamed up by two women who were like, this isn't right, we need to do something about it. It was a grassroots movement that then literally took over the sports culture because they went about it the right way. And, you know, I really hope that Sanctuary Runner continues to follow in that pathway. Um, if people do want to get involved, Eilish, what's the best and easiest way for them to, to tune in and show support? Uh, pop onto our website to sign up for those last few emails at sanctuaryrunners.e and you'll find us Sanctuary Runners Ireland across um, all the social channels so have a little look there and there's some fun videos and a few more sports stars getting involved over the next 24 hours and that would be really fun to see so so far David Gillick has been on the team we've had Claire Lamb we've had Rashida um, and then you'll get to see a lot of our Sanctuary Runners in action as well well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck with it. Um, I hope the, the testing continue to go negative. And um, thanks a million for uh, joining us this morning. Cheers. Thank you. That's um, Alice McSweeney there. And it's at Sanctuary Runner on Twitter or sanctuaryrunners.ie is the website for that one as well. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. 0879180180 is the WhatsApp number. Or of course, you can also uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Uh, Paul Tierney says many said Salah was done after Chelsea he just needed time and a manager who gave him a chance and trusted him Sancho's first year Solskjaer as manager enough it's a fair point we sometimes jump to conclusions we talked about recency bias in the World Cup but we we definitely jump to conclusions about players Jadon Sancho being one example well, uh, give him a chance he might not be finished as a footballer but it's going to be very, he's very hard United. to get back to anything relevant at Manchester United at this stage I saw someone at the point in that earlier as well that like Sa- uh, Solskjaer's signings for United haven't really materialised and worked out um, Sancho being one of them you, you'd almost look at the record and say well yeah it's it's a bit concerning and that, that's tough for the likes of Ten Hag who comes in and then has a legacy of, of players he didn't buy um, now he's all of a sudden brought in the likes of Casemiro and Anthony and 
um, Martinez and players he has a history with so yeah it's a legacy left at Old Trafford that has been um, fairly grim since Alex Ferguson left but yeah it's you feel for him I, I don't think Sancho's days at United are numbered necessarily but certainly over the next three four weeks he has to be back in the team if that's the, if, if his career is to continue at Old Trafford like well uh, like uh, you'd take him at Villa I wouldn't you wouldn't? No, he's going to be on Manchester United salary. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. No, absolutely not. In a playing perspective, no? Instead of who? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, look, maybe if if, if the manager decides... He reaches his potential. ...that he can get something from this signing, then, you know, far be it for me to... Um, to uh, that doesn't make that much sense, but it doesn't make that much sense at the moment, so I don't think so. I'd be interested to see if if, the, if what we said earlier about um, him missing the penalty at the Euros still playing on his mind uh, somehow psychologically. I'd be interested to see the likes of Harry Kane how he how I think react this season. From his own career perspective, he just needs to get a move to somewhere that isn't uh, and finds a manager who loves him and finds a manager who wants to play him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, and there's probably as Daniel Harris said earlier, was more, Tuchel was he good under Tuchel? Uh, or who was the was it who was the Dortmund boss at the time? Was it Nagelsmann? I can't. I can't recall who it was when, who signed him particularly, but or I mean, when he had his good season. You, you get from the tone of Ten Hag's comments after the match last night that it was that there's, I there's something there. I I I hadn't thought about the um, psychological trauma of missing the penalty being the thing that is still hanging over because I mean you wouldn't have said that when he was sticking in against I know yeah. against Liverpool yeah you know? and it's a while ago. Um, look, his his aunt passed away as well, who was a someone who was like a mother figure in his life, and that was. Look, things like that can play on people's minds and, and things in Marcus Rashford's personal life were, were playing on his mind that, that seemed to be um, diminishing his, his on-pitch prowess for a while. But So you can't... Uh, we don't know the full story of what's going on with Jadon Sancho. Um, there's a reason he's in the Netherlands training with coaches that Ten Hag trusts and knows. There's kind of a bit of footage of him training as well by himself. Um, I wouldn't rule him out just yet. It's Lucien Favre was the manager. Lucien Favre was the manager, right. He's now at Nice. Send him to Nice and see who gets on there, but Nice hasn't been great for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I mean, um, Colm's asking me, what's my problem? My problem is that this is indicative of bad signings from Manchester United and the fallacy of sunk costs, I think, is the same thing that would apply to continuing with the goalkeeper. If if you really think David De Gea is going to be the goalkeeper to um, make Manchester United Champions League winners again, then you stick with him. But if you don't, you don't just sign him for another season because he's playing okay. You've got to move on. I know, but then... The, the amount of time that Eric Ten Hag has at Manchester United is really, really limited because there's a new owner going to come in and unless Ten Hag is already showing signs of being successful, then he's going to be gone. So, rip off the bandage. Gone. Gone, Sancho. At the end of the season, gone to Gea. Thanks very much. But, like, we don't need to pay you basically half a million every, every time we win a game. I'd be quite happy to keep De Gea if he takes a pay cut. Uh, he's not. He's not going to allow you to do what the team wants to do. He's an excellent shot stopper. Martin Dubravka played last night and he was fairly crap. <laughs> he kept a clean sheet, but there was a couple of moments where you're like, "What? What's he doing?" Well, he's like, he's just a sub. You're not putting him in the team. No, I know. Well, he's he's probably the Carabao slash Europa League goalkeeper for United. But um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be so so quick to get rid of David De Gea. Good servant of the club. Maybe necessarily stylistically doesn't fit the mould completely, but nah, stick with David here. David here can amend his game. He's a, he's a good footballer. He can't. He can't. He no. can't amend his game. What are you talking? When have you seen any signs of that? When when look, 
there was a, a period in the first half where during the World Cup when uh, in the World Cup final when the ball went back to Emi Martinez I'm like just 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 punt it there I mean just uh, don't be fanning around with it right mm-hmm. and he didn't and then there was another time where he came running out of the gold and tried to scissor kick in the air and I'm like what are you doing what are you doing that's just Emi well but my point is they're roughly the same age I think Emi's 18 months younger maybe maybe a bit maybe a bit more um, they aren't going to change into suddenly ball playing drop the shoulder pinging the ball like Allison. Or Ederson, mm. the best goalkeepers in the world are the best goalkeepers in the world, and David Hay is not close to it. Couldn't even get in the Spain squad. Couldn't get near the squad. I thought that was wrong, though. Well, uh, but it, I mean, he should be like he should be in the Spain squad. Why? He's one of the best Spanish goalkeepers. But he's not though. Not if you want to actually be able to play the ball out from the back. I don't know. Any- not having it. Um, Column is Happy in my Christmas. ear again saying multiple Player of the Year awards at Manchester United. Exactly. Exactly, <laughs> Manchester United. And uh, what, year, when did, when did they win the Premier League? When was he player of the year in the Premier League team? He won the Premier League in 2013. Did he? Was he player of the year in that team? I don't know, but he was starting goalkeeper. He was player of the year the year they won the Premier League. He was starting goalkeeper. Van Persie was player of the year. Well, yeah, hard so, to hard to argue with that though. Um, okay, all right. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. Uh, this is our last show of the year, Shane. Oh, last show of the year. No, I'll, of course, have, have... You're here tomorrow, but that's with Adrian. They don't count. Doesn't, doesn't count. We, of course, have shows next week that are... Who's on the show tomorrow? not recorded. Um, oh, all the star guests. Great. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah, we've Raj tomorrow, don't we? Ronan Agara. I mean, need I say any more? And by the way, we're going to talk darts. I'd say you're sick you're not presenting tomorrow. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's very sincere, yeah. You're not, you're not enjoying the darts at the moment? I haven't seen any of it. None of it. It's on in the office as well. You could even you could stop by, by the TV it, there in it, the afternoon. It is on in the office. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was myself and Phil enjoying it yesterday. Yeah, I noticed that, yeah. Cahill's there. Yeah, yeah. F- feet up. There was Irish interest, John O'Shea. Tea brewed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. This is still a place of work, isn't it? I, m- I missed a bit where, where that was, it was re- like... It was research. I'm ta- I mean, I'm talking about it now on air. John O'Shea... I know, you're the, on the verge of the breaking cork, out a few tins. The cork... Uh, i skinning up. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's important research. The, the darts is... Um, the darts is quality, and when there's Irish interest, you've got to watch it. Michael Van Gerwen on the hockey last night as well. Uh, the quality level is, is amazing, Jer. Seamus Quinn says, well done for highlighting the Sanctuary Runners initiative. It's a fantastic idea. Um, I was totally kind of unfamiliar with it, but um, at the Griffith Avenue Mile, there was like a bunch of runners in their bright blue T-shirts, and it's just very affecting. I think um, Ailish McSweeney made the point that the, the founder was like, I don't actually know anybody who's in direct provision and I guess if we were to challenge ourselves and ask the same question how many of us actually do know people who are in direct provision and who are experiencing what it is like to be part of what is going to be our generation's version of the mother and baby homes Mm. and what are you doing about it now you should lobby your politicians every time they come to your door and darken it and come begging for votes you should bring it up but on a more fundamental human level you can just run and you can walk. You, your mum does the Sanctuary yeah, Runners yeah, yeah. in Monaghan. Yeah, and it's a fantastic initiative. And like I'm probably the same as a lot of people. I'm probably not 74% of people who don't know an asylum seeker. And that that's uh, that that's not a good thing whatsoever. Um, and look, direct provision is probably one of the greatest stains in our country at the moment. Um, doesn't make you feel great, especially around this time of year. But Sanctuary Runners, if, if that can, can lead to more of us knowing some of the people in our area who are in that position... And situation and getting to know them by name and getting to know their personalities and not just seeing them as a st- statistic or a number 
uh, well that can only be a good thing so yeah Sanctuary Runners is a, is a wonderful initiative for sure right OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day enjoy your Christmas Shane you too happy Christmas Joe do a good show don't be don't be phoning it in tomorrow now nah not at all I think where you said earlier all my mates have already started to phone things in don't be doing don't be that person nah 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 I've, I've, I've stood firm to this point the audience is relying on us tomorrow yeah yeah, yeah. We'll I'll be back tomorrow. tomorrow evening from 7 o'clock with um, angry producer Mick um, with by all accounts a shambles of a crappy quiz which of course has yet to be recorded of course uh, right uh, we're back tomorrow. Ronald Lagar is on live to chat about the season so far. Is he not doing his um, top five? No, okay, all right. Finn Hart's manager, Davey Rogers, will also be joining us alongside Jack Langston, Langston, who is going to be giving us the inside scoop on the darts. Um, Happy Christmas there you to go. the darts lovers. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.